My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is the pastor at Coram Deo Church in Springfield, Missouri, the co-host of the Absolute Unit podcast, and the founder and head roaster of Reformation Coffee. For the final guest of Reformation May, please welcome Brandon Lansdowne. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Years ago, I heard a quote that's commonly attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, but is actually by the history scholar Henry Thomas Buckle. He said, Great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. Now, I'd hardly call myself a great mind, but I do enjoy discussing ideas. And if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy discussions about ideas. So there. The big idea behind this podcast is that at this very moment, we're riding the leading edge of a 40-year movement to redeem masculinity in a sort of rebirth or renaissance of men. That 40-year movement has helped create space for women to do the same for femininity, leading to a renaissance of women. And as a friend of mine once joked, When a renaissance of men and a renaissance of women love each other very much, they produce the great reconciliation. And that all of this is God's story, to bring us back to his design for men, women, and the family, as described in Genesis. We are the prodigal sons and daughters, or the children of them, and we're returning to our father's table, together. He's been waiting for us. Pretty cool, right? In an age without grand narratives, we're getting to live through perhaps the grandest narrative of all, a chance at true civilizational rebirth through healing this most fundamental divide. And better yet, it's not conceptual. We can see it manifesting in and through our relationships and lives. That you're here at all, listening to this right now, is testimony of that. For the past three years, I've been working to propagate this idea using various means. Men's mentorships, podcasts, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, live events, men's groups, even a documentary. And I'm grateful to see that it's finally taking root in the hope that men and women feel in our hearts that this isn't the end. It can't be. I mean, of course it could be, but if you're anything like me, you've still got some fight left in you for this world. And what could be a better thing to fight for from a human perspective than love and the family? Isn't that what all our greatest stories are about? The hero getting the girl, and the girl getting a hero followed by the restoration of a kingdom. If you ever want to see me cry, show me the scene atop Minas Tirith at the end of Return of the King when Arwen steps out from behind Elrond and the newly crowned Aragorn gets to see her for the first time when he thought he never would again. That is what I believe with my whole heart we are heading for collectively. And here's the best part. Man or woman, you get to live that scene if you choose to see things the way that Tolkien showed us the signs are there. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you already see them, even just a little bit, or you're open to it. Now here's the thing. 
I have purposefully kept myself out of the middle of the story. Because counter to this entire industry, I have not wanted to set myself up as the example of masculinity. Because I don't think I am. My story is complicated. I'm not ashamed of it, but it's full of real tragedy and, praise God, redemption. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But it's not a road I recommend you walk. That has left me with an interesting problem. Who is the story about if not me? If I'm not the hero, who is? The answer to that question is what it's always been. You. You are the hero. You are the renaissance. You hear it every time you listen to this podcast, and I mean it, and always have. Because when clouds pass over a drought-stricken land, is one drop enough to water it? Or is the dry ground watered by countless millions of droplets? And did the droplets choose to come together into clouds in the first place? Did they direct the winds? Do they even choose where they fall? I am not the center of the story, and could never be. I have my role to play, it's true. But this story is as much about me as it is you. One day, I woke to find that we were all droplets falling from the sky. I'm just the man who looked around and said, Hey guys, I I think we might be rain. The purpose of this podcast is to spotlight some of the men and women who I believe are noteworthy members of that story. It exists because in the space between ideas and execution, we need examples who can teach us the things we're all just learning at various stages. Which brings me to my guest this week, who is just such a man. His name is Brandon Lansdowne, and he's a husband, father, pastor, podcaster, general contractor, entrepreneur, coffee roaster, and especially a humble and faithful man of God. The surest testimony of that is how uncomfortable he'll likely be that I've said all this about him, but by the same token, he surely deserves it. Not because he's perfect, but because he's trying. He's putting in the reps, taking risks, showing results, and walking the path that many men are and would like to be, including me. In other words, he's leading, not just with word or idea, but example. As I've said many times, as an everyday man, creating godly prosperity for his family and the kingdom. And his leadership moves through the various spheres we all move through. Home, family, work, church, social media, passion projects, entrepreneurship, brotherhood, and creativity. That's why I'm grateful to have Brandon on as the final guest of Reformation May. I couldn't ask for a better man to close out this series. I think you'll hear aspects of his story you can learn from and incorporate into how you show up in the spheres of your life. Again, not as a perfect man for you to follow, because there's only been one of those, but I hope Brandon will serve as a mirror to look in and see yourself reflected. In our four-hour conversation, Brandon and I discussed Christian men and strength training, families and modesty, shepherding a flock, masculine sanctification, the manly need for brotherhood, building into Christendom, and of course, enjoying coffee to the glory of God. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Reformation May was a success beyond anything I could have imagined. It featured not one but two episodes that cracked my top 10, Matt Reynolds and Eric Kahn, and in so doing taught me a lot about what you enjoy as an audience. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends, leave five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, and five-star ratings on Spotify. I think big things are ahead for all of us. Also, the second edition of the Digital Conference series was another huge success. I was greatly blessed by the effort that all the speakers put into their talks, by the consistent presence of the audience, 
and the real and raw emotions all the ladies were so gracious in sharing. I'm working on the recordings now and should have them up within the next couple weeks once I get a little time off to relax after the big push. You'll be able to find those recordings at renofmen.vhx.tv along with the recordings of the men's conference. Those 10 videos are available now for just $19.99. Hit the link in the description to check those out and take $10 off. And as always, the Renaissance of Men podcast is sponsored by Reformation Coffee, which you're going to hear a lot about. You can catch the exciting conclusion of Will Reforms His Coffee running in the middle of this episode. I'll give you a full report on what I've learned and how my coffee experience has changed for the better and probably for good. A big part of that, of course, is Reformation Coffee, which you can enjoy along with me by visiting reformationcoffee.com and entering the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And before we start the episode, I'd like to highlight three truly godly subscription services available to faithful men and women today. Canon Plus, Apologia Studios All Access, and Reformation Coffee. Are we starting to get the picture yet? Hint, hint. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast to conclude Reformation May, the founder and head roaster of Reformation Coffee, and a husband, father, and leader of men, Brandon Lansdowne. Brandon, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. It's so exciting to be uh, crossing paths with you in a sense in, in this moment, because I don't know if you remember, but um, maybe it was a year or a year or so ago, 18 months or so ago, you posted on Twitter and I followed you back then. You posted on Twitter that you were looking for some help with, uh, with your, the first episode of the Absolute Unit podcast that you recorded with a friend. And I just happened to be scrolling. I'm like, I can help you with that. Yeah. So I, I, I think about that a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that well. And you were, you were a big help. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I had forgot that that's where we connected, but, um, but yeah, good memory. And, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for that moment that, uh, you know, that's led us to where we are now. I, th- I just thought it was, I thought it was so funny when we crossed paths later here with Reformation Coffee and, and so many different other things to think back to that. Like, oh, wow. Like, I wonder how that plays into everything. Cause I, I, because I, I'm a big believer. I, I remember what really landed, uh, with me about what you were doing is, and, and uh, of course, you've heard me talk about this recently in podcasts, is like Christians and fitness. And then when you had said that you were starting this podcast about that and that you needed help with audio, I'm like, here, here, send it to me. Let me, let me, let me fix that up for you so we can start having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You did, man. You did a good job too. Um, yeah. The, the Absolute Unit podcast has been a fun one for, uh, for, for us, uh, me and my buddy Joshua Jenkins to, to do together and just talk about all things pertaining to, fitness certainly physically but also just what it what it means to be a man of god and to lead out in family and community and church and uh you know a big part of that we think is being uh strong having strength uh, physical strength mental emotional strength um, lots of things that uh, i borrow from our uh, our mutual friend matt reynolds and talking about voluntary hardship and just mm. yeah so yeah it's uh it's it's a fun podcast happy to do it well, let's start there then. Let's let's start with Christians and, and strength because I know we've got lots of different places we can go. But since this is, this is where we began, let's let's begin there. So, so talk about a little bit. So the podcast is called the Absolute Absolute Unit, mm-hmm. and I've heard uh, I've heard legendary tales that you are a man of renown when it comes to fitness. I've heard comparisons to certain Baywatch characters, and uh, we're just going to lead off right now with the full the full embarrassment. We're just getting out of the way. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but like, but talk a little bit about the with the role that. 
that fitness has played in, in, in your journey as a man and your faith journey and your role as a pastor and, and, and podcast as well. Let's, let's, let's just start there for the, for the men and women listening. Yeah, certainly. I think, yeah, I mean, fitness is hard. I think, you know, anyone can admit that and anyone should be willing to admit that it's not easy. If it were easy, then everyone would do it and not everyone does it. Um, because it's grueling, it's, it's hard. And, uh, it, like with anything that, that is generally worth doing in life, it's usually hard. And so, um, you know, when, when you put your, your mind and, and your body towards a thing that is difficult, um, that doesn't just come naturally or is uh, especially comfortable, uh, when you do that, it oftentimes lends to, um, you know, other added benefits or strength. And so for me as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, um, you know, as, as everything else that I do, certainly physical strength isn't the, the end all be all in contributing to my success in those things. Um, but to say that it doesn't contribute at all would, would be a mistake. And, you know, I think so enduring those hardships, choosing those hardships on myself, um, knowing that it is, it is for my good, is for my benefit, um, it is, is for developing physical strength and learning how to, to, to endure difficult things. Uh, you know, again, I know that, um, that Matt has talked to you, Matt Reynolds has talked to you about this, and I hear about it from him all the time about voluntary hardship. We choose those to put those things on ourselves so that when we come to um, a hardship that isn't of our choosing, then we can endure it much easier. And so, and that's, I mean, that's physically, that's mentally, that's emotionally. And it's the same thing, you know, when I, I, I could speak from past experiences in my own life where I've gone through hardships that I wouldn't have chosen on myself that, uh, that, that took a great deal of, a great deal of strength emotionally, mentally, maybe not so much physically sometimes, but, um, yeah, if, if I can think back to times where I had failed because I hadn't properly prepared to do those things uh, and, and not wanting that to be the case moving forward in the future. Cause I know that other hardships are going to come. And so again, to say, you know, fit, fitness isn't the end all be all, but if, if you can, it's just like our spiritual disciplines. Like if you can commit and be disciplined to, to spiritual training, right. Spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, um, you know, um, doing uh, journaling and leading your family and, and family worship, things like that. Things that, that, that man don't always come the easiest because we would like to sleep in later or we would like to go to bed early or whatever the case may be. We've got a hundred other things that we need to be doing instead of family worship. But when you commit to those things, then they become easier over time and they lend to greater success in other areas of your life. And so, so for me, that has translated over into being a pastor, being a husband, being a father, being um, a business owner, um, of just being able to do hard things because, you know, because I, I've, I've trained, I've chosen to, to train myself to, to endure hardship and and man, just also just, I guess, last thing I'll say is that, um, well, I could say maybe it's not the last thing, but uh, it, it, it lends to, I think, more uh, longevity and, and, and you're able to endure things and you also have an increased level of confidence, right? Not, not that we should become cocky or arrogant and start to have too much of a strut. But yeah, like when, when I'm out with my family, um, you know, I, I feel that, that 
they are, you know, they're safe and like my hands are competent in keeping them safe. Um, maybe not in every in you know, all situations, but, <clears throat> and so, yeah, it, it, um, it just, uh, it, it, it pays forward in, in you know, a multitude of other kind of benefits or dividends. Uh, and it's really just comes down to making the simple choice of just do the thing. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things um, that we run into now, now for everyone listening, you're a pastor of a church, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, which, which will, which will definitely, we'll definitely talk about. And one of the phenomena that I think men are dealing with right now is they're, they're starting to get a lot of different pressure in a good sense to begin enduring voluntary hardship in terms of their fitness. You know, the phrase fat pastors is getting thrown around and, and not without reason. But one of the things um, that I've, that I've found that a lot of men begin throwing up resistance is like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get vain though, right? That's the common, that's the common, like they don't want to set out on the road at all because they're afraid of falling into the ditch on the other side of the road of vanity. So they stay in the ditch they're in, which is not being capable at all. At all. And, and what I think is interesting about the example you're providing is that you're actually a pastor and that, and that you have the skills to navigate through this dialogue of shepherding people. So for, for the men listening that would, that would throw up that excuse, like, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to become vain. I don't want to look like Arnold. That's a, that's a whole other thing. But like, how would, you, how would you help a man navigate through that, or a woman for that matter? Yeah, I think that certainly there, you know, there, there are always two ditches on, on the side of the road, and you could overcorrect and, or, 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 or fall into the error of the other ditch, just vainglory and... Um, you know, and, and that's something that I've done in the past, you know, when, when I, hmm. when, when I went through a situation that, that, um, unfortunately led me to, uh, in for a period of time, really walk away from the Lord, then, you know, the, the, the thing I poured myself into was physical fitness. And, and I've talked about this on other podcasts. And so I'll, I'll mention it briefly here and then you sure. can ask questions if you want, but, um, I, I was, you know, I was, yeah. I was putting a ton of time and energy into my fitness and, and I was doing, I wasn't doing, um, barbell fitness back then. I was doing, um, a, a kind of more advanced calisthenic stuff where, uh, I was just putting in tons of time and, um, was seeing, um, huge benefits just physically, visibly, um, was seeing huge benefits. Strength was increasing. And so, uh, that led to an opportunity for me. There was a company that made, uh, exercise equipment really mainly for calisthenics. And, uh, cause I had, I had, the the, the Instagram account back in the day that I was, uh, you know, I was a part of this calisthenics community and was connecting with other people. And so anyways, the owner of this company, this fitness company just found me and then just one day reached out and said, Hey, we are looking at, uh, doing a rebrand and we, we want to try to connect with you. They're up in Toronto, still are. And anyways, uh, without, you know, boring you with too many of the details, cause I don't, I don't share this story very often and here I am putting it out there for everybody. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, it was it was some some training uh, sessions, some that were students were coming in, but it was also you know photo shoot and all these things. we were just doing the rebrand, so they flew me up to Toronto, and man, I thought I was it. Like I thought I was the stuff, and um, and you know, it just led to just 
you know, me seeking more and more vainglory in myself and come to find out, not surprisingly, it, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't satisfying. It wasn't enough. And, um, you know, praise God for his patience and his mercy and drawing me back unto him and back into the church, um, you know, leading to, to, you know, confession and repentance. And, um, and so, uh, but, but yeah, all, all of that to say is I, I do understand the error, the, the tendency. And I think that the, the caution that people might have like, Oh, I don't want to become vain. You know, I don't, I don't want to become this, that, or the other. And I, I think that's a fair caution to have, but it's one that you can guard yourself against just like anything else in life. You know, if, if, if you can see just the, the, the black and white truth about the benefits of being physically strong and being, uh, being agile, being quick, being healthy, being limber, being flexible, all of those things that are going to lend to uh, longevity of life and more enjoyment in life then like focus on those things. Don't, don't put all of your, your focus and your worry on what you might become. Focus on the thing that you know that very potentially you could become just all those things I just listed uh, rather than, than worrying about, you know, becoming Arnold or becoming, you know, some kind of fitness model. Um, And, uh, and, and, you know, all of the benefits that come from, from being fit, like I've said, is, is, you know, they're, they're going to lead to a greater ability to endure hardship. They're going to give you more confidence. They're going to, uh, you know, they're going to help you <clears throat> physically be a better mom and or dad, uh, because you can get down on the floor, you can go do things, you can get out and about, you, you know, and as your kids get older, you become a grandparent, you know, then you don't have to slow down. You can keep going. And so, yeah, I think, in all that, the, the, the caution to, to fall into the error of, of vainglory is always going to be there. And, and you just have to, you just have to battle against that. You just have to, you know, uh, keep your spiritual disciplines in check and get up every single morning and seek to, 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 to mortify the sin in your life and follow after Christ. And, you know, as we say on the absolute yeah. unit podcast is you could get lift to the glory of God. You know, become an absolute unit to the glory of God. I love it. I love it. No, because I, I agree. And, uh, you know, I was talking to my dad uh, this weekend, and my dad's in the 70s, and we were talking about uh, deadlifting. And I just uh, just somewhere in the conversation, I decided I wanted to look up what the, what the, because he was saying he probably couldn't do it. And I, so I decided to look up what the, what the record is for deadlifting for a man over the age of 70. And it's actually 530 pounds, which is, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, now, that said, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, my, I mean, because uh, we were talking about my buddy Mike Pantile. Shout out Mike, who posted videos on Instagram of him deadlifting 800 pounds, which is which is yeah. uh, it's it's crazy. But like 500, 530 pounds is. I mean, he was competing as well. Yeah, but that's a significant amount of, amount of weight to imagine that a man who's seventy something years old could lift that. Mm-hmm. Now that's the world record, but so a four hundred pound deadlift, even scaling back a little bit completely achievable. And the health benefits for that in terms of circulation and musculature and bone density, I don't know that you can even count them versus the alternative of slowly withering away and believing that your male body is not capable of these feats anymore. Yeah, that's, you know, so many people are, are under the, the, the misconception that if you lift heavy weights, that it's going to be to your, your physical detriment that, you know, oh, it's going to, 
um, you know, it's just going to wreak havoc on your back and your joints and your hips and your knees and so forth and so on. And, and the thing is, is that what, in reality, it's doing the opposite. It's strengthening all of those things. Um, and, you know, you don't jump in and, you know, try to deadlift. You don't you try to yank 500 pounds off the ground day one. You know, you, you start much lower and you, yeah. you build up and, you, and you're building up strength and you're, you're building up, um, you know, uh, just just greater uh, you know, flexibility and, and, and even rigidity, you're, you're becoming stronger as you do it. My, I can tell you for me, my, I've had, uh, back issues most of my, uh, like from my young adult life up until just recently, it just, um, uh, suffered a, a, an injury that, that every, you know, every year, probably two or three times my back would go out and I would be down for a day or two. Hmm. And when I started doing uh, barbell lifting, I can't remember the last time my back went out. It's been a couple of years. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. It's surprising. It's surprising. It's surprising the benefits of of really lifting heavy. Yeah, I've tried a bunch of different you know strength training protocols, and I'm training with my buddy Sean. Shout out Sean, and you know he's got me doing the four, the four, the four big lifts yeah. structured over the course of a couple of weeks. And just getting really getting into deadlifting in a way that I hadn't before, and getting to see my own strength and feeling the real benefits of that has been has been really powerful. I've deadlifted before, I've bench pressed before, but but I haven't actually. The, the challenge is I haven't had my diet dialed in. That's been a really big challenge, yeah. dialing that in and figuring out you know how to eat the right amount um, and not have energy crashes. And so so I've I've recently cut out not because I wanted to go keto, but I've recently cut out almost all carbs. And I'm not advocating for it either because I didn't go into it saying I'm going to do a thing. But I finally got everything dialed into the point where my nutrition is working well for my body. And now I can lift these weights and sort out my sleep and everything. And so now I'm actually finally experiencing the benefit of these things. And I understand, like men talk about you know, how powerful these are and I've never been able to do it right just because of the nutrition issue. Now that I have my nutrition straight, uh, it's really made a huge difference and I look forward to it now. I think more men need to get into it just for the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly uh, an enjoyment and you you know, you're able to find a, a sense of motivation and excitement in it, especially as you start to see, you know, improvements, you start to see gains, um, you know, whether that's, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with, with like visibly being strong, you know, being seen as strong. Like you, you want that. And, and that's, that's good. When you see that, you get encouraged by that. But then when, you know, when you, you realize that you're lifting, you know, 50 pounds more than you were just three weeks ago, that's an encouragement. Uh, that, that's, that's motivation. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, and there's just a really great sense of community, especially amongst men. There's just such a great uh, sense of community. You know, we, we did a, we did a, a, a lift camp again to, 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 you know, mention Matt Reynolds, you know, with Barbell Logic, um, mm-hmm. you know, he did a, he did a lift camp at his house and we had men from two different churches come together and, like just the, the sense of brotherhood that was there was, uh, it was great. I mean, everybody had a great time. Everybody was encouraging and, and, and shouting one another on as we're, you know, some guys set PRs that day and you know, it was just an awesome thing. Guys were just encouraged and motivated. And, um, you know, and then we followed it up with eating a bunch of grilled meat, drinking some beer and it was a good day. You see that video going around Twitter. I think there's about what happens once a year, different versions of it where it's this young guy with a, his high school buddies in the high school gym, maybe a football team, 
just deadlifting or doing a, a, a clean and jerk or something like that. And they're all screaming yeah. for each other. It's like, where's that? Yeah. How do I, like, can I sign up for that gym? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw that video just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah, like well, that, that, that kind of encouragement and motivation and brotherhood. It's palpable. Yeah. While everyone else is kind of worried about, you know, uh, girls in the yoga pants and the skimpy outfits dressing <laughs> up at their globo gym. It's like, I, I don't want that gym. I yeah. want to go to the gym full of men screaming to, to, to put the weight up. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so this, uh, so, so obviously like uh, with, with Matt there and, and with a couple churches together, you're really putting together, you know, the lifting and then you've got the fellowship after, and then, and then kind of paint the picture about how Christ comes into that, about how scripture comes into that, how the fellowship shows up. Cause I think that, as I, as I just articulate what that picture looks like, it's like, that's something that I think I might actually like to create like here in Phoenix. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we, we really see all that we do, you know, I could, I could take it from, you know, from Doug Wilson or everybody else that says it, that it's, it's, you know, it's all of Christ for all of life. And so we are seeking to do everything that we do within community, within within our families, within our churches and our society, our, our culture around us, <clears throat> to to build into that, to build into Christian community, be it in business or be it in you know fellowship between churches, and so we we do a lot of things really intentionally. Uh, you know, we we are seeking to to build businesses and Christian institutions. We are uh, we are. Our church has a uh, what we call convivial, which is the third Friday of every month, where we just get together. Uh, convivial is a fondness of food, drink, and uh, fellowship. I think, um, and so that's that's mm. what we do. Um, we just get together and we just eat and we drink and we have good conversation and we laugh and we invite people of all walks of life to come and take part. Like there's there's no pitch, there's no sell, there's nothing. It's just come. And of course, the conversations always come. Um, the questions always come of like, who are you guys? What are you doing? I mean, usually there's a point of connection. Like we've, we've had um, plenty of, of people who, who aren't Christians come and be a part of that and, and just enjoy it and, um, and ask questions. And so, and then teaching our people how to do the same out in, out in their lives. Um, you know, we're, we're doing conferences. We're, um, you know, we're, we're seeking to do, all sorts of things uh, together to the best of our ability, all to the glory of God and, uh, and just trying to really trying to, to plant that inside the heart and mind of every person so that it can, it can be duplicated. You know, we don't, we don't really want our efforts to be one of addition, but rather multiplication so that you know, everybody else can, can come and experience and get a taste of that and then learn to do the same and then go out and do the same. And then just continue to cast that net out really wide. That's really beautiful. I think that's what a lot of people are really starving for, Christian or not. And not just, yeah. uh, I like what you said, it's, it's not just about addition, but it's about multiplication. I think that's the feeling that many of us, men or women, and certainly I could say I've been looking for it my whole life, this feeling of, and the word that I like to use is generative. Mm right? It's, it's generative, like one plus one equals three, something new is created. And I think many people are starving for a, a community, a church, a family, you know, a, a club, a men's group, whatever it is, 
to be truly generative, where the output is more than the sum of its parts, Mm -hmm. to feel like that they're part of something because I think society takes so much from us. It takes so much now that we're looking for something generative and creative in response. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that that every person in the world uh, essentially wants the same thing, and that's to belong to something or, or someone to want to have a community or a family or a brotherhood or a sisterhood. And so, man, what greater opportunity do we need than that as the church uh, to extend that to people and to, to bring them in, to invite them in, to come and participate in that. Of course, along the way, um, you know, discipling them and speaking the truth of the gospel into their life to bring about necessary and God honoring change in their life. It isn't just, Hey, come as you are and stay as you are and become a part of us. Um, No, there's, there is a standard and it's God's standard. And so we want you to come and be a part of it. Uh, You don't absolutely have to to change or clean up before you come, just come, but know that, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we've, we've got a standard that that's been put forth and, and like, that's the bar. That's what you, you, you have to reach and it's attainable because you have, you know, you have the, the, the work of, of the Spirit of God involved in that community and hopefully, Lord willing, uh, you know, in, in his mercy in that person's life as well. So so can we talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned a little bit of it, like when you were in the in the fitness world, you kind of, you walked away from the church a little bit and come back and now you're a pastor. Can you talk a little bit about your, your faith journey, maybe from your upbringing kind of up to up to today, because I have a bunch of questions about um, masculine community building mm-hmm. from what you just said. But but I, I want to know a little bit about your own path, because I think what you're doing is really important and sort of help me put some of the pieces together. Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in a pretty nominally Christian home. Uh, my parents uh, were divorced when I was young and I was raised uh, primarily by my mother and, uh, and then later my mother and my stepfather. And, um, so Christian involvement or church involvement rather was, was pretty sparse early on. And, you know, I had the gospel shared with me by my mom when I was around uh, 11, 12 years old. And, uh, like I said, we were pretty, pretty sporadically involved in church. And so she did a well enough job that I, I believed, you know, I mean, I was familiar with, with the, the terminology. I knew that, um, I think I would have said that I, I believed that, that that God was real and, and that Christ uh, was was the Son of God and and the Savior of the world and that hell was real and I knew I didn't want to go there and that was that was really essentially all I knew and um, I felt like at the time that was enough and so <clears throat> I grew up in a Southern Baptist church you know when I was there it was Southern Baptist church and um, you know so I. You know, just as soon, soon as I could, I, I, I walked the aisle and I, I prayed the prayer. And shortly after I was baptized and then I wasn't discipled at all. And I just fell back into just the same old stuff, same patterns, you know, and, and a lot of people would say, well, like ah, t- at 12 years old, like how bad could it have been? What were you doing? I mean, you know, I was I was boosting stuff from the store uh, all the time. And so like, I just went right back to that. I mean, it was and it could have been could have been candy. It could have been a soda. It could have been cigarettes. Um, you know, just start, just go back to boost and stuff. And, um, and it wasn't until a few years later, we had a a pastor come to the church. I was, I was getting much more involved. And, um, some of that was because a girl, um, a girl that I'm married to today. 
but um ah. yeah yeah oh, awesome yeah so um but uh but but you know he he was uh he was really influential in my life in in, in teaching me and, and showing me um the truth of the gospel in a just really new and fresh way that I wanted it and so uh, so yeah I got much more involved in in church for the right reasons and uh, at age 16 since a uh, a pull and urging a calling whatever you want to you whatever title you want to put on it towards um, towards ministry towards vocational ministry towards preaching specifically um, I had be begun to get a couple of opportunities within the church to do that at, at an early age. Uh, I'm sure I was terrible at it. And, um, but you know, everybody starts, uh, everybody starts somewhere. And so anyways, long, you know, just to, to move past that. Did. Yeah, I did. Um, and so it became much more intentional in my discipleship and desi- desiring to grow in the Lord and, and in his holiness. Um, went on to a Southern Baptist university in got the degree in uh, Christian ministry and biblical studies was married after my first semester of college to my high school sweetheart. And um, so we've been together for, we've been married 23 years now. And um, yeah. Yeah. So God has, God's been really good and, and, and has has shown a lot of favor to me in in that regard. And so uh, have, have served in, Various capacities within the church, uh, you know, parachurch organizations, youth ministry, associate pastor, those types of things. And uh, actually, when I stepped away from the church, it was while I was serving in the church. And, uh, you know, just uh, won't get into all of that, but it, it, you know, it was just a, a series of events that occurred that that I and I just I failed at. I just failed to respond in the way that, that the Lord would have had me to. And as a result, uh, I just dove headlong into sin. <clears throat> wasn't serving in the church. We weren't attending church. I wasn't leading my family well. I was definitely failing as a man of God to to lead as a husband and as a father. And, uh, that's when I really got into fitness and neglected my family as a, mm. as, as a result. Um, and to hear my wife talk about this is, you know, it's, it's, it's oftentimes for me, it's a hard thing to hear, but it's an encouraging thing to hear because she, she can see the journey differently than I do. Um, just in terms of, of yeah. where I was and then where I got to, and then where the Lord has brought me to today. And so anyways, um, <clears throat> on the way out of that journey, you know, kind of that, 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 that return to the Lord, the prodigal son almost, you know, returning to the Lord was really where much of my theology began to change. I, I was already, <clears throat> I was already Calvinistic in my soteriology, but, and I was, I was very much leaning into reformed theology, but I wouldn't have called myself reformed just yet. And so all of the, the, the things that have come with that in terms of you know, biblical patriarchy and, and, and godly masculinity, those things really weren't fully f- formed in my mind yet. And so um, a lot of that building in, in my own mind and then, and then the outworking of that has come as a result of 
my own experiences, my own mistakes, uh, seeing seeing good examples of it out there and wanting wanting to emulate that. And you know, that's that's stuff that's that's been put forth by um, you know Michael Foster and even even Doug Wilson and others and. <clears throat> Um, and I can look back and I can attribute, you know, certainly some of my, my failings in that as a man, as not having a really strong and, and masculine fatherly role model in my life. You know, I, I've asked my wife oftentimes is, you know, how, how is it, as humbly as I can say it, like, how is it that, that I've gotten to where I am now doing the things, thinking the things um, that I do now when because even that pastor that I had growing up, he was he was great, but he he wasn't really teaching me truly how to be um, a masculine man of God. Uh, I don't know that I would use those kind of words to describe him. Uh, he mm-hmm. just loved the Lord and he loved the scriptures and he loved the church and he put those, th- you know, he helped instill those things in me. But um, yeah, so that's probably pretty spotty, but that's that's you know kind of a a, a buckshot version of, of my story. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it's, um, thank you. Thank you, by the way. Um, because I, I feel the journey through what you're saying. And one of the things that I've observed coming into the church after having been so lost for so many years um, is that when I meet people who have grown up in the church, there's an aspect of it that they can't relate to. And blessedly so. Blessedly so. But to to go on a walk and to leave and then to come back gives you the ability to relate to people who have been lost in a particular way, I'd imagine. Because because um that is like, no, I've been out there in the world. Because a lot of people I think they grow up very, very sheltered by the church, and that's a blessed thing. And that's not something that I criticize. And at the same time, it's like when I try to relate to people I meet like that, like you got no idea how bad it is out there. <laughs> You know, I'm stumbling in from the war, and there's and that and that that helps me understand a lot of the themes that I pick up, you know, in in our con- in our other conversations and the things that you do. It's like there's a there's a grief there's a grief there, but I think it's a grief that opens a doorway to the experience of being human. That's really important to open, particularly for men. Yeah, hundred percent. I you know I I don't think that I don't think that I would have had as much success as I, I have had in, in doing the thing and in, in leading my family and leading my wife and, and also in leading other men, especially, I mean, just mon- this is Wednesday, Monday, more two, two days ago, I, was, I met with one of the guys in my church and was just like, was just talking through some of these types of scenarios, these types of things with him. And much of what I was drawing from what was my own experience. And some of those experiences have come from learning the hard lessons of doing it wrong previously. Um, and, but then also it includes, you know, learning how to do it right and how to do it well. Um, and, and, you know, that was in relation to, um, you know, interacting with and leading your own wife and how you know, there, there is a, there is a, a technically a right way to do it. And, and there's a good way to do it. You know, and so, um, you know, you, you can, you can be right in the thing that you said, but it isn't really good in the sense of it being all that helpful. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, I've, I've learned over the years, 
And I just, so I used to just scoff at people who were older than me, just thinking like, you, you're just so, you're so silly. You, there's just like, you don't understand. And man, the older I get, the more things I realize I need to go back and apologize for. And maybe I didn't have it all figured out. And um, yeah, time is a, is, is a great teacher. And so um, especially when you're, you're seeking to live a life committed to the Lord and um, you know, you're able to stay humble in that and learn from your own mistakes and try to lead others in it. So, you know, I guess one thing I, I would also add to that really quickly is, you know, I say this to our people in our church all the time is that, you know, my wife and I haven't done, of course, like everyone else, we haven't done all the things right. Uh, we wish that we could have done things differently, but we know now that we can. And some of that is in regards to like how many children we have and, and certain decisions, you know, life altering decisions that we made. And the thing that we've noticed, she and I, and we communicate to our church is that we wish we would have had somebody older speaking into our lives. And we didn't. Um, certainly we had those, we had older people in our church around us, but nobody was actively engaged in entering into our lives to say like, Hey, you should have more children or something to that effect. And so, mm-hmm. um, so we seek to be uh, that which we didn't have uh, for other people today. You know, we we want to try to help the younger people because our, our church is made up of mostly younger families and so I want to be for them what we didn't have. And so, you know, life lessons have, have, have come into play really heavily. And, you know, so my interactions with men, my wife's interactions with the women in the church, you know, just in, in terms of leading them towards a fuller understanding of, of biblical masculinity, biblical femininity, the outworkings of those things. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, we desire to do that, and we've we've you know we've learned a lot from mistakes along the way. You just said something that I, I think is going to sit with me for a very long time. Um, and yes, I completely understand <laughs> learning making mistakes. <laughs> I might have made one or two, sure. um, and and having to make and 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 definitely there's a component of making mistakes and. Um, allowing God to make the best of our mistakes, which He does so so wonderfully, um, and I definitely want to get into that. But before before I, I go there, you said something really important. There's something that's technically right, but that isn't necessarily good, and that's really important because um, you know one of the things in the, that's happening in the dialogue around masculinity, particularly on Twitter and Instagram, not Instagram, uh, Twitter and YouTube, also on Instagram, but is that there's a way in which the dialogue about masculinity gets super autistic. And I mean that in almost a literal sense, not a, not a colloquial sense where it's like, bro, like you leaned in on the wife on the photo with your wife, not going to make it such a beta, bro. Did you smile, bro? You're showing teeth and you're smiling, bro. Like, did you, did you have an emotion? Oh, not going to make it. So such a soy boy. And it's like, that's masculine legalism. Like you can technically do it right, but you know, like I'm the Terminator. That's the new masculine archetype is the Terminator. We've moved beyond Patrick Bateman, and now it's like I have no emotions. I have a skeleton of iron. I'm ripped, and I just don't. I don't have any. I'm not, I don't have any humanity to mm-hmm. me. Like okay, maybe you're doing it technically right, but it's not good. And that's so. I think that's the that's the language that I think a lot of men who are looking for a renewed vision of masculinity. Certainly, I'm looking for. Is to say, like, okay, I hear, I see the rules, like, I get it, 
but there's some, there's no heart in them. They're not good. And so I, I don't know. I wonder if you can just expound on that for a little minute, a minute, because I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day, actually. Yeah, certainly. Um, <clears throat> there have been, you know, countless opportunities for me in 23 years of marriage to try to lead my wife to speak into my wife's life, um, into our marriage. And, uh, like I said, you know, say technically the right thing, like, you know, this, you know, this misstep is happening because of this, or, um, you know, there, there are times that I have, and I still do that. I, I have the need to correct my wife and likewise, she, you know, she, she can correct me and she does. and, And I receive that. But, uh, there's a way in which it ought to be done. And and like, this just comes from time and testing, man. Like, honestly, um, for me, I'm, I'm a super black and white guy. And it's of course, like most men, I see a problem and I just want to fix it. And so I I see the problem and I just, you know, I dive right in and I, you know, well, you just need to do this and you need to do this. You can stop doing that. And maybe that's not at all what she needed to hear in that moment. You know, maybe, it's just as simple as, and I, and it took me time to learn this. And it's something that I practice now. Like, I hear you. Um, you're right. That's tough. And I hate that, that this is what's happening. Um, what do you, what do you need from me rather than just like, well, if you just stop doing this and start doing that, then you wouldn't have to feel the way that you yeah. feel right now. You know, it's almost just like, you might as well say, and this is just where like the man, like the manosphere and like the stuff you were just talking about, it's just, we get it wrong. It's just like men and women are built differently. And so ultimately if I just, if I just come like bursting into this problem that she has, just seeking to fix it and not focus on her, then, then honestly we shouldn't be surprised if, and when it gets, gets understood or heard as like, you're just so stupid. Why, why are you even doing like, just do this. Um, and just absolutely dehumanizing your wife, um, and belittling her. And like, those are accusations that I've heard. Like you make, like I've heard my wife say, like, you, you, you make me feel an inch tall sometimes by the way that you speak to me and man, Mm -hmm. I got to decide what to do with that. I'm like, well, maybe you should just be stronger or like, Hey, maybe I just should be more loving and, and patient and, and kind and gentle and, maybe I should lead my wife as though, um, you know, I don't know, Paul tells us that we ought to as men, as Christ loves the church. And so, um, so sometimes, man, it's just approaching the situation differently. And, and then oftentimes you can follow that up with um, a word of truth. Now, all that being said, there are times, and my wife would attest to this, like I have said, like, you're just wrong. Like you, like you're, you're in sin right now and, and you should stop doing that thing because of reasons X, Y, Z. And, and again, like that, that isn't me just lording over her. She can say those things to me too. And, and I ought to receive them. And I do, but like, it's just being able to, to know, you know, when to apply, if, if this isn't too silly of an analogy, like when to apply the right medicine at the right time, like maybe both of them are useful, but, maybe only one of them is best right now. And so maybe that's a gentle hand and just listening. And, you know, there's times I've done that and and my wife has just responded with later, like, I just appreciate you being present and listening. 
And so that's not weak. That's not beta. That's, that's being really mindful and attentive to my wife and leading her in the way that she needed in that moment. So maybe, like I said, it could be just being gentle and listening, um, being available, or it can be correction. It can be you know, fixing the problem that's, that she's presented or, and vice versa. You know, I, I want to be careful not to make it sound like I'm saying this is just something that men do towards right. women. Well, that's, I mean, that's real, that's really important because at least the way that I grew up and the, and what I observed from my culture was that um, women can never do anything wrong to men and anything a woman does wrong to a man, he probably deserved. Yeah. Like that was, that took me a long time to find that belief. And, and, and I think um, the way that the dialogue, and I, and I think there are places within, within, the church that have absorbed some of that as well. In fact, I know that there are, and that dialogue is starting to shift a little bit to a place of balance where it's like, no, we're in this together and women sin and men sin and they sin against each other and they do things to each other that they don't deserve and they repent and all that stuff. Like it's a balance. Um, so there is a component, there is a component of, of grace that men and women have to show to each other and to themselves. And, and that really matters. And, and, I, and I think that there are very few problems, there are very few interper- interpersonal problems that can't be solved by one person doing, doing the heavy lifting of simply just listening in the right way. Not like, listen, not like, let me dump on you listening, but in like a, no, I'm really going to be present with you and I'm really going to listen. I think many problems between men, women, women, men and, men and women, men and men, women and women can be solved just by listening in the right way. That's my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I, I really like the, um, I, I'm in Allison Armstrong's uh, uh, Smart Singles Intensive Program right now, and uh, which is like a master class in everything Allison Armstrong. And she's become a good friend over the past couple of years. And I'm taking her course, I'm, I'm watching her course, Understanding Women. And uh, it's brilliant because it, and I, I recommend it because it talks about the differences between men's psychology and women's psychology and how men have the psychology of hunters, right? Very, very object-oriented focused, and women have the psychology of gatherers, very awareness-oriented, and how those two run into conflict with each other. And as she's taking apart all these interpersonal problems, it's like, yeah, I can totally... <laughs> and everyone's laughing in the audience because they all see it reflected back. Like, yeah. men and women really are truly built very differently, but in this, in this glorious, complementary way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly right. And I think, you know, maybe unbeknownst to ourselves, you know, we just don't, oftentimes we don't operate that way. We, you know, we, we, we project onto other people the way that we think that things ought to be thought and felt and perceived. And, and it, like I said, it, it took me, it took me a good many years of early marriage to, to figure that out that, you know, enough times of feeling like what, what is going on? Like, why why does this continue to occur? Like, what am I not doing right? What am I not communicating well enough that, and, and, you know, and thinking that it just wasn't being received well enough, you know, then it occurred to me, I'm like, Oh, maybe it's not being communicated in the right way. Maybe the, maybe the problem isn't only or just my wife. Maybe the problem is me. And it was. So, you know, right. Yeah. Learning to, you know, learning to, to, you know, when to take a knee, when to follow my sword, when like, this just isn't worth, like, it isn't worth proving that I'm right or, or whatever the case may be. It's just like, man, I just, I want the absolute best for my wife. I want to, I want to protect her. I want to lead her. I want to 
to, you know, to shepherd and nurture her well. And so that at times that just means, you know, I think the most masculine thing that you can do is just, um, you know, take, uh, if you're having a disagreement, take a knee and just, just lose. And, and then don't, don't tell her that, <laughs> don't tell her that that's what you did. Just do it. Um, right. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm taking it. Take one for the team on this one, babe. Yeah, yeah. I just want you to know that I'm going to bow out of this argument um, and let you think that you're right, even though that you're not. Um, yeah, don't <laughs> don't do that. Maybe don't. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I, I like this because, again, with the masculine legalism, right? Where you have all these. Um, and look, I understand why guys are anonymous on on the internet, I get it. Like, and I get that not everyone's life is, is set up to be outspoken on issues of, of sexuality and, and gender and all that stuff. Like I get it. And at the same time, you have these guys who have no level of accountability talking about the ways to lead a family. It's like, bro, like, what do you even look like? <laughs> like, can I see a photo of you with your family? I like, can show me a photo of you with your family smiling. And then maybe I'll listen like, no, you have to lead your woman. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's a level of like, no, we have to do not just what was right, but what is good. And that's everything that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So do you see, you know, you said you have a lot of young families in your church. I imagine that you have a lot of people coming who are come from similar backgrounds um, to you, or maybe the, the, the widespread American phenomenon of, 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 of father hunger, of, of father famine, as I call it now, you know, looking to looking to rebuild something that they feel in their hearts but have never really experienced. Yeah, I think like the the majority of our people, I think their their background in that regard is a little bit different than mine. Uh, they all, I think, well, with the exception of a couple, I can think of, you know, come from intact homes and and have good relationships with their their dads and. Um, I have a good relationship with my, my dad now. It took some time to get there. But um, I think that even in those, those, you know, good and healthy relationships that the other men in our church have with their fathers, there was still, um, yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about how I would communicate this, but uh, there weren't necessarily bad examples put forth but there weren't all of the the best or or right or even necessary examples put forth um and so you know within our church we we hold a biblical patriarchy and so um you know much of what i'm i'm implying falls within that in terms of there being a a very uh specific framework that men and women are to operate within. And so, you know, the majority of our people didn't come from, uh, come from that kind of a, a, of a mindset in terms of like, you know, things that, things that men weren't built for things that women weren't built for in terms of, um, you know, workforce or being in the home and, and, you know, nurturing and leading and discipline. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a much more, I guess what people would call today a more, you know, kind of soft complementarian, certainly, to fall in all the way over into the other ditch egalitarian. But, um, you know, um, I think our folks came, come from, uh, you know, most of those types of, of environments where it was just like, you know, they weren't thinking about those things. They weren't talking about those things. And as a result, you're not, 
actively seeking to apply and, and, and live those things out in, in your everyday life. And so as we seek to do that, it, you know, it obviously lends to a, a lifestyle that's very, in, in, in certain respects, it, it's a lifestyle that's very different from the one that they were brought up in, the one was modeled before them. And, and, you know, pretty, pretty much everybody is, is really receptive to that. I think, you know, we don't get in a hurry with that for, for people that we're kind of, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're tearing down old structures and putting up new ones, you know, the, the, the paradigm shift that kind of takes place in, in um, their, their mind in terms of like, Oh, well, you know, as a, as a wife, you know, I, I should desire and seek to be a mother and I should, should desire and seek to be home and manage the home and like those types of things, you know, I just, the, that I think are natural outworkings of, of viewing the role of biblical manhood and womanhood. So that's what we seek to do. And people are really receptive to it. You've gotten to see, I imagine you've gotten to see quite a few families change their trajectory, change the way that they live, change the way that they think about these problems. What's that? What's that like? I'm so interested because this is everything that I talk about and everything that I'm going through in my own life. And I, I see the people around me, some blessedly so, really transforming lifelong attitudes. But imagine from the position of pastoral ministry and counseling, it must be incredibly inspiring to see at times. Yeah. You know, we've got one family in particular they were with us in the previous church that I was serving as an elder in. And so I started discipling him, man, it's been probably, I don't even know, probably going on four years ago. And, uh, I think he would be, he would agree and be okay with me. Like saying that in the beginning he was, he was tough. It was like, he, uh, he had a lot, a lot to learn and a lot to grow in and change. And, you know, so really just, uh, kind of pulling him out of, out of his shell, so to speak. I mean, it was hard just to get him to even speak. And now, you know, he, he leads discussions in guys night that we have like on a Friday night when the men of the church get together, he'll, you know, he'll throw out a question or lead discussion. And so, you know, he's, he's learned to grow into those things. But the reason I bring him up is that, uh, they were, you know, he and his wife were, were relatively newly married when, when we started and they didn't really have plans anytime in the near future to have kids. Uh, they knew they were going to, but yeah, as, as I started to introduce him to these, these things, you know, in terms of how you know, children are, um, you know, a, a gift from the Lord and that we ought to seek to be fruitful and, 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 and bring forth children into this world and, and, you know, teach and train them, raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and so many other things that can come with that conversation um, that we ought to actively seek to be having children. And so uh, naturally, I think, you know, it, it could lead us down a rabbit trail, but like that would, that would lead me to say like, you know, I think the, what has almost become uh, an epidemic within the church is just like, you know, the, the idea of the, the, the gift or calling of singleness or the gift or calling of not having children and just um, maybe getting married. So I was pushing back on that type of thinking and, and they just totally course corrected along the way. And what is it? Uh, about a little over maybe two months ago, they just had their second child. And, um, 
are just, you know, and, and the wife's home and she's managing the household and, um, you know, so they made really drastic changes in, in their life along the way. And they weren't, they weren't things that I was, I was telling them to do. Um, it's just really just kind of placing the, 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 the idea in front of them, the biblical truth in front of them and then letting them run with it. And it's been a joy to see that. I could say that that's been true of more than one family in our church. And, you know, it has, it's contributed to a, a different and better understanding and practice of a practice of modesty. Um, you know, the attire for both men and women in our church has changed, um, whether it's on Sunday morning or, you know, just any day of the week. Uh, and I haven't set forth a, a specific standard or a checklist of ladies, you should dress like this and men, you should dress like that. It's just something that has just come along the way as we seek to, to understand and apply what it means to be um, a man of God or a woman of God. And what it means, you know, then kind of to, to drill that down further. What does that mean to be a husband or a wife or a father or a mother? And uh, so, yeah, there, I mean, there have been countless little changes along the way or improvements maybe is a better word um, along the way in people's lives and my own um, as, as we seek to understand these things and apply them in our own lives, in our own church community. So you're actually witnessing it sounds like you're you're witnessing a little bit of some of the things that I'm seeing, which is like a real, a real regeneration within people. Yeah, like this is the thing that surprised me the most about about being Christian is that you know I spent many years in the New Age and I've talked a lot about that. And in the New Age, there's a lot of practices that you have to do to create marginal improvement. They do work, and I would have told I I I, I would have sung their praises until I actually became Christian and started experiencing what sanctification and regeneration is. And it's like. This is completely different and a thousand times better. And I see it in my own life and I see it in the friends that I go to church with who I'm close with. And it sounds like it's happening almost on its, it's, it's happening on its, not on its own necessarily in that way, but in it's on its own, it's happening right in front of you as well. Yeah, certainly. I think as we just, you know, we, we are a church that or Reformed Baptist church. We take the word of God very seriously. We take holiness very seriously pursuing that. And so um, we, we aren't interested in seeing how reformed we can be just for the sake of being reformed. And, you know, for all the Presby <laughs> brothers out there that would want to say that we're not reformed because we're Baptist, you know, whatever, that's fine. I don't care. Um, the whole thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I've told our people, like if, if we're not pursuing holiness, if, if we aren't seeking to kill sin in our life, if we aren't, De- desiring to build into a greater sense of biblical community and bringing other people along with us uh, along the way, then like I don't really care what what your position on head coverings is. Um, I don't really care if you think that we should be exclusive psalmody or if we can sing hymns. I don't. I don't care. Um, and so we take the word of God extremely seriously in in terms of applying it to our life. And so you know, it's like the guys that I disciple. Uh, you know, we go through scripture, but one of the books that I'm almost always insistent that we read is, is Holiness by J.C. Ryle, because, man, it just, it cuts to the quick. It just gets right down to it in terms of, like, if if you are, and, and man, Ryle, he's, he's, 
he's he's so good with words and terms and like sometimes he can just be really short and concise and just like just just like get you right in the gut with with something and then other times it's just like it's 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 long and it's elaborate and it's beautiful and painting a picture of holiness and you know what does it mean to have assurance and you know what does it mean to have doubts and, and just the language that he uses it it's um it's really timeless in terms of what the journey uh, towards holiness looks like. And so that's what I'm interested in. And I think that is what truly contributes to uh, this regenerative change, uh, this, you know, the sanctification that's taking place in the lives of, of, of our folks. You know, because again, like I said, I'm not asking people to do these things. We have ladies that wear head coverings, but that's, it's not something that I've instructed them to do. And then we have others that don't. And so, um, and, and I bring that up to say like, that's, um, those are things that are still happening, but, uh, ultimately what does it look like to apply the word of God to, to your soul in terms of growing in holiness and, um, you know, putting off, putting off the old self, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians and putting on Christ and, and making the necessary sacrifices along the way that, that has has been what I think has contributed the most towards the men and women making these kind of changes in our church. There's a, there's a component here of, I think um, one of the, one of the things I've been reflecting on lately is the difference between uh, high church versus low church. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a distinction that I heard not too long ago where it's like, there's a, I think one of the things that draws men and women to Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism is that it's like high church, right? Church with a capital C, mm-hmm. cathedrals and ornate and, you know, very formalized liturgy and paintings and, and all the, and all the different um, iconography, <laughs> right? Let's put it that way. And, and there's a component of, there's a component of that. And then, compared to some churches and we won't go into the, like the woke apostate kind of, you know, kind of rock concert churches. Cause I don't, I don't know if those are churches in the most loose sense, but you think of like a lot of, a lot of the reformed churches that are, have a more low kind of approach to them, more accessible, come as you are kind of casual. And I see the value and I see the benefit of both, but there's a component of like the high church reaches too far and, and sort of lifts up off the ground. And then the low church is too close to the ground, so that doesn't lack lacks any of the high. And so I think what I'm kind of experiencing in my own life is is wanting a little bit more formality, but not losing a, a little bit a little bit slightly higher church, but not losing the groundedness mm-hmm. to reflect the holiness. If you're going into church on on Sunday, you know, showing up with the right attitude, showing up with the right clothes, showing up with the right feeling of true worship is important, but you don't want it to become so formalized that you lose touch with the humanity of it, I guess, which happens. So it sounds to me like that's kind of happening naturally in your community a little bit and it's kind of in its own way. Yeah. I mean, we, I think you, you hit it perfectly, you know, somewhere in between those two, I guess, if you want to call it mid church, but you know, we, we, uh, we, it's kind of, we, we, (laughs) we, you know, we, we're, we're, our services, you know, are, are liturgical. We follow an order of service that's very intentional. And, 
it certainly includes aspects that that you would see you know really kind of magnified in in a high church setting i mean we make uh, we make much to do about um, about communion and we observe that every sunday mm-hmm. and um, you know we we have a corporate prayer of confession followed by an assurance of pardon from the scriptures and um, and then we take the supper and then we move into the preaching which is different from what most churches do um, and so that we can then feed upon the word of God uh, spiritually, knowing that we we have confessed our sins and we have uh, we have been assured of our pardon, um, and and we have spiritually taken of Christ in, in the bread and the wine. And so, um, and we have you know we we do we do some of the formal things where we do responsive readings and we uh, we we put forth. A, a confession of what we believe, and we draw that usually from the 1689 London Baptist. We do all those things together. We 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 start and we end the service the same way. So yes, there's there's a good deal of structure and formality in what we do. But yeah, it, it isn't to lift us up off of the ground, as you say. It's because again, we we take those things: the Word of God, the gathering of the saints, uh, the preaching of the Scriptures, uh, the observance of communion or sacrament, whatever you would want to call it. Uh, we take those things so very seriously. Um, and also in the belief that even in our attire, what we wear, it, it isn't a, a requirement for you to come in. Um, but people have just made those changes on their own because of, of the belief of, I want to, I believe that this thing that we are doing is, is serious and it's sacred. And I want to give my best to the Lord. You know, the argument of people like, oh, well, God doesn't care about what you wear. He just cares about what is in your heart. And I would say, yeah, you're absolutely right. He does care about what's in your heart. But should what's inside your heart not affect what is on the outside of your body? You know, if if you can, if you can give more, um, not as a, a, as a means of, of, uh, of, of, uh, a personal work like we, we aren't it's not workspace salvation where it's not you know we, we aren't earning god's favor right. because you know we put on a suit or a nice dress it's just like i have this i can do this um and man even like um there's an article that uh goodness who was it uh zachary garris put out um in regards to attire in the church and he puts forth some really good arguments, you know, and that, that I was already doing these things. But when I heard, you know, him talking about considering, like, what do we wear to weddings or, or to a job interview or all of these other things that we want to present ourselves well. But for whatever reason, we've come to the point where we don't think that we ought to do that in the gathering of saints on the Lord's Day when we offer worship to God. Hmm. One of the things I think about a lot, and maybe this plays into it, is that um, sort of the 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 culturally agreed upon uniform that Americans wear is blue jeans. Now, blue jeans come from they became popularized during the 1869 gold rush. They were work pants. They're labor pants. They're not they're not formal. They're not dressed. They're they're robust. And there's a way in which Americans like to present themselves, no matter which which social caste that they come from as very much working class. And we're very comfortable in that kind of presentation. 
regardless of whether that's you or not. And I don't have any, I'm not meaning this in any sort of class judgment sense. It's just the way that Americans kind of like the way that we like to present ourselves in the way that Europeans, for example, don't. Europeans are much more comfortable with other kinds of fabric and dress. You go to H&M and you don't see so many jeans at H&M. You see more other kinds of fabrics. The name, I, the names escape me, but there's, but there's a way in which you try and take Americans, particularly American men out of their blue jeans, even if they're nice jeans, and you put them into something a little nicer. And it's like, there's a discomfort of like, well, who am I outside of my blue jeans? <laughs> right. Am I being authentic? Am yeah. I really myself? Am I really still an American? If I'm wearing slacks, like, yes, you are. It's okay. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of that too, but I'm wearing jeans right now. So like, this is not like I'm sitting here in a suit. Yeah. Well, clearly I'm not either, but you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, to kind of draw the conversation back to, to kind of where the, the question started is that, you know, seeing, uh, I have seen a number of different changes and growth in the lives of our people simply because we, we take holiness very seriously. And I'm, and, you know, of course it, I, I hope it would go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, like wearing nice clothes on Sunday morning to church does not equate to holiness, but it doesn't mean that it yeah. is absolutely absent of a pursuit of holiness. Um, you're, you aren't holy because you put on a suit, but um, you know, maybe, maybe you put on a suit because you're desiring to pursue holiness and, and you want to come before the Lord um, with your best. And, you know, of course I know all of the arguments of just, you know, culture and context and those types of things. And that's another conversation, but, uh, yeah, the, the the point the point being is that I've I've seen uh, a lot of different changes in the lives of our people because of our desire to pursue holiness and to take the word of God very seriously. And that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the women's modesty conversation, where the heart of it is, and the head coverings, like all these discussions, and I, you know, with everything amplified and and accelerated with social media. I understand how people lose sight of this very quickly, but the way that I see it is as people are coming to understand if you're truly pursuing holiness, if you're truly being sanctified, if you're truly experiencing regeneration, that changes the way that you express yourself in all the senses of that word, which, of which your clothing is an expression. As Tanner Guzzi says, your clothing is an expression of your values. Right, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, and there's a way in which you know. Um, of course, Eric Kahn was talking how that's shown up at, at his his church at Refuge in Ogden, where it's like women are like, "Yeah, I feel really convicted about the level of my modesty." Like he told a very moving story about a woman throwing out twenty pairs of yoga pants and her and her husband buying, you know, a bunch of dresses, and and that is an organic, natural expression of her own inward transformation. I've certainly like I've become increasingly convicted about swearing for myself because I didn't used to have any things about swearing. And over the past two, three years, I've felt like I'm not comfortable with that. You know, <laughs> there's a time and place for serrated edge, and I get that. But just for my own self, it's like, yeah, I don't I'm not comfortable saying that anymore. I found myself apologizing and it's transforming the way that I express myself. And it sounds like it's showing up there in your church community as well. And I just I think it's such a beautiful thing to be witnessing right now. It almost feels like it feels like a privilege to be seeing this um, this transformation in, in the minds and hearts and, and bodies of believers. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know, I, I haven't really thought of it so much in terms of a privilege, but I, I would agree. I think that it, it's definitely an encouragement. It's definitely uh, something that helps uh, motivate kind of to, to stay the course, keep keep doing the hard work. You know, as, as a pastor, oftentimes you come to this place of, of just wondering how how much is 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 taking root in the hearts of, of your people mm. um, when when you're you're probably de- desirous of seeing um, certain responses or or an outworking of things uh, in a person's life and you don't see it, uh, it's easy to get a little bit discouraged and just to think you know what am I doing or you know, what am I not doing. And so, yeah, certainly when you see those things, when, again, like I'm, I'm not calling people specifically to these things. It's just um, things that are just naturally taking place by, by the work of, of the Spirit of God in people's lives. Um, it is definitely encouraging. I, I, I would definitely consider it a privilege and an honor to be able to, to help lead in that and, and to be a part of that. And, um, and, and you know, then to, to hopefully just continue to, to lean into that and, and, you know, to go back to what I said earlier is like to, to then just like spread, spread that out, cast that net out further and wider, encompassing uh, more and more people. Uh, because, you know, we are, uh, not everyone in our church is um, post-mill, but we're, you know, we're, we're mostly post-mill, I'm post-mill and, and I pastor the church. And so like, you know, we believe we're we're playing the long game and we're going to win. And maybe I won't see that in my lifetime in terms of like the 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 net effect or the the outworking of all of these things that we're seeking to do right now. But I'm confident that the the efforts that that we're putting forth are going to be you know, they're they're going to bring forth a harvest. You know that that the Lord will will do a great and mighty work for His glory in that. And, as we seek to cast the net out wide and, and include more people in that, that those efforts will, will, will be multiplied and we'll see more and more change in the hearts and minds of people. Um, just you know, repenting of sin and desiring to be holy and, and um, just loving the church and seeking to lead out in their lives and their communities and their households and their churches, you know, all of, the various walks of life and spheres of sovereignty that, that they have. Can you talk a little bit about, um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, most people are, will go through, uh, especially Christians will go through their lives being shepherded and will have very limited experience of what it means to shepherd. And so now you found yourself in this place and, and, you know, again, you have, you have the degree and you've been an elder at a church before, and now you find yourself, you know, as a, as a shepherd of, of, uh, of people, of a church full of people at this really, it feels like a really, I, I, it's more than feels like, I think it is a, a crucial moment in American history, perhaps world history, perhaps even the history of Christendom. You know, so, so you've, you've suddenly with, with all the roads that you've walked and the man you've been and, and the journey that you've been on, through all these different things, you f- you find yourself as a shepherd at this moment. Can you can you invite the listeners into into ha- into that experience? Um, and I, I guess, like, what is it to shepherd shepherd people in this moment when it seems that so much is on fire, so much is on fire, um, 
And yet you're creating this opportunity for people to experience not that. Yeah. Um, I came across a quote from Paul Washer probably six, eight months ago. And in typical Paul Washer form, it was a, it yeah. was a punch to the gut. And he said that, oh goodness, let's see if I don't mess this up. Um, you all, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, um, you, you only love your church as much as you love uh, your most, you know, stubborn, non-growing member. And, uh, and when I heard that a a specific person came to mind and, um, yeah, I I realized if that statement's true and I thought it was, uh, then I'm not loving my church very well right now. And, and so, um, for me, it, it was a moment of realization because man, I think about like, you know, Christ being our, our shepherd, our high priest, you know, the, the um, man, like if, even if it's just cons- in consideration of me and how he, he, he deals with me, like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be tough. Um, you know, and, and, you know, just in terms of, of my stubbornness and my rebellion and, and my mistakes and, and yet how he continues to love and lead and shepherd. And so anyways, uh, I, I, I took that and I, I realized that, man, I like, I, I, I want to love and lead these people well. And, um, I want to, to give of myself to, to them and leading them to greater understanding, greater application of the scriptures in their lives. And so, uh, you know, putting aside all of the things that would cause me otherwise to think, and this person just isn't very lovable. This person isn't all that likable. Um, I'm sure those things are true of me. Like, you know, to, for, for some people, I'm, I'm generally pretty direct in my speech. And, you know, I, as a joke, I tell people that sarcasm is my love language. And so you know, not everybody, <laughs> not everybody deals with that. Well. Um, I want to, I want to like preface it with like that it's a joke so that everybody knows, but uh, you know, cause, cause man, my, my experience has been that not everybody responds well to that. Not everybody. Um, uh, that would get to, um, I'm really, it's I'm, perfect. I put myself forward as, as someone that's very confident and, and you know, that that has been, that has been a, a source of, intimidation for some people specifically women you know, and these are things that i've heard it's not things that i'm i'm projecting or, or thinking about in myself it's just things that i've heard right and so yeah just like tweaking those things like you know and i think that's been a, a, a process of sanctification in me that like there again like there there might be there's there's a good and there's a right way to go about doing things and and so um i can speak something that's truth but um it can be really harsh and, and, and direct and not very kind um, with a member of the church. And so I bring all those things up to say, like, you know, I, I have changed the way that I, uh, I interact with people, certainly, especially women in the church, but there's, you know, I've, I've changed the way that I interact with people as a means to, to, sh- to shepherd and lead them well, um, certainly better than I have in the past. And, um, Man, I just, 
the older I get and the longer that I do this, the, the less I care about what people think about me in terms of primarily like, am I doing a good job? Am I doing the things right? Am I doing all the things that people want me to do? And instead, like my focus is just, you know, meeting people where they are, entering into their life. And as cliched as it sounds like, you know, doing life together, but like really just truly genuinely entering into biblical community with one another, people's hurts, people's, um, people's growing pains, you know, dealing with some people in our church now that are, um, you know, working through a, a, a clearer understanding of uh, doctrine of salvation and, um, you know, being, being Calvinistic and what am I to think about, you know, the other soteriological views, you know, what am I to think about Arminians? And so like just being really patient and entering, entering in that with people and, um, being, being as, as, as humble as I can, dependent upon Christ, because in the past I've, I've been a really prideful, arrogant person that, um, I mean, man, being in my early twenties in ministry, if I, if I met that kid today, mm-hmm. I punched that guy right in the mouth, I think. Just because, you know, so cocky, so arrogant, so full of himself, thought he knew everything and like everybody should just come to me for the answers. When instead I just, again, let's pursue holiness. Let's see what the scriptures say. Let's apply those to our lives. Uh, let's, you know, let's get our hands just dirty. Let's do some heavy lifting together. and Let's be really humble and gracious towards one another in that. And then people have responded well to that, that, uh, that I seek to, to just remove all the haughtiness in me of just like, Oh, you know, like I don't, it's really what, the problem that you're having is really simple. And, you know, if, if you were just more studious in the scriptures that you, this is really clear, you should come to it. He's like, no, just like people in our church are struggling with biblical patriarchy. People in our church are struggling with Calvinism and with things that they're reading that call Arminianism a lesser heresy. Like, what do I do with that? And so, you know, um, entering into that, and shepherding people through that. Um, you know, there was a, there was a meme that I saw. It's not really a meme. It was a picture of, and you probably, maybe you've seen it. it it's a, it's a, a sheepdog that had fought off a wolf and uh, it's all yeah. bloody. And the sheep are, the sheep are all around the, the dog. And one, sh- one is in particular is kind of like, I guess, licking uh, is caring for this dog. And a buddy of mine posted it and he said, uh, he said, um, pastors take notes. Oh, I know that you saw this cause you commented on it. And I said, um, par- parishioners take notes. Like, and so like, I think both of those are true and necessary statements of just saying like, you know, um, I seek, I, I does, I want to give my life for my church, for my people. And I want to fight off wolves when necessary. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to speak a corrective word when, when necessary. I want to admonish and, and um, I want to do all of the things that, that are necessary for their growth in holiness. And, 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 and mine too, like I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I'm, I'm on the same journey. Like I'm growing, I'm, I'm uh, making these types of corrections and changes in my life as well. And so um, it, it's, it's certainly been, if I, if I could be, 
if I could say it like this, like it's, there's been a lot more success in my ministry, I guess, in, in, in taking this approach rather than just, um, you know, brass tacks, truth, um, no, no care or concern for the, the hearts of my people. And that was, yeah, because I, before I cared more about truth and being right, then I cared about ministering to people, shepherding people. And, you know, so I stopped caring about what people thought so much. And what I mean by that is the last church that I was in, I had to be pretty cautious of some of the things that I would say from the front because they would not be well received. And, um, I don't, I have to be much, I don't have to be nearly as cautious in the church that I'm in now because everybody knows kind of what to, to expect. Um, and not, not like I'm saying wildly outlandish things, but like if I, you know, if I say that, you know, if, if I, if I make mention of something that has to do with, you know, divine simplicity and God not being made up of parts that he doesn't have emotions like we do and he doesn't change his mind, you know, that's well received in my church now. And so I just say it. In the last church, I had to be much more careful because we had people who were, you know, brand new Christians or people who had been a Christian for a very long time, but they were still very much in their infancy of the faith. And they just, they, they couldn't, for whatever reason, they couldn't hear those words from me the way that I was saying it. So. How were they, I don't know, how were they hearing them? Um, I was. Because this is a question for me, because I'm not sure. I was just stomping all over um, everything that, that oh, they okay. held dear, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all, all of the, really kind of what leads into just kind of all these perceptions and assumptions and ultimately what leads to, you know, just false perceptions of, of people within the reformed camp, mostly, you know, that, that we don't, um, we don't care about these, um, these near and dear doctrines of, you know, just the idea that, that God would, would hate or oppose anybody is just, they, 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 Mm -hmm. they, they can't, they can't even remotely begin to, to accept that as a possibility. You know, God loves everybody. That everyone's a child of God, and so you know when I when I put forth a doctrine that says that God is sovereign over salvation, and that He isn't moved by emotion, which would suggest that a change occurred in Him. Well, then that I mean I just set fire to most of their inherited belief. You know, because and and like. That was my experience. I went to college with a, with very much an inherited doctrine, an inherited faith, and then I got smacked in the face with all of these ideas that I thought were brand new, but come to find out, they've been around for five hundred plus years, thousand years, you know. So, so that's a bit of a ramble, just to say, like I, I just have I've, I've no. sought to be much more mindful of where people are, and and to just to lovingly shepherd them in that and be less concerned about being right and um, much more concerned in the truth. Like I don't, I don't need to win arguments anymore. I don't need to win the debate. I don't care if people are like, Oh man, 
Brandon was right. Look how smart he is. No, I just want to know the truth. And, and I want us to be led by that truth. So if I'm wrong, yeah, like, I mean, fine. I'll, I'll accept that. I'll change. You know, and if people are wrong, then I, I want them to accept that and change. And you know, that's, that's sanctification. That's growing in holiness. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's an aspect of, 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 um, when we find the truth, what do we use? What do we use the truth for? Do we use it? Um, do we use it as a club to beat other people with, or do we use it as a, as a lamp that we hold up for people to follow? And, uh, I, I coming from the new age world, I remember when I first discovered the notion of, of God having wrath, because mm. there's nothing, there's no idea in the new age world that could be more anathema within that world than the idea that God has wrath. That is like, that would be the, the, that would be so far from that entire worldview. And when that really landed for me, it was a lot for me to take in. This was, this would have been about a year and a half ago, something like that. And I, I really had to sit with it because it's a scary idea. It's terrifying that the creator of the universe could actually feel wrath. Like it's, it lands in my heart in this point of terror. And that's, I had to wrestle with it for a while to make myself comfortable. Like, no, this is reality. Um, and if I say that I believe this, if I say that I'm a Christian, if I'm a baptized believer, then I have to, then I have to make myself okay with the belief is not the right word. Like I have to get into a place where like I can accept the truth of this and find the truth of it within myself and, and accommodate myself to God's word. Let's say, let's put it that way. And I did, and I did, but it was a real serious effort for, uh, for a long time. That was around the same time as I discovered Doug Wilson that was around the same time as I, um, I was taking membership classes for apologia and getting introduced to the notions of Calvinism and what that was, you know, like total depravity and limited atonement. I was like, wait, what? Like, aren't we all children of God? Like, and it's like, it was wrestling with all of these things all happening around the same time. But, but I, I guess I got there. I got there and I found it so freeing and liberating and then I came into the reform world and I see people beating each other over the head with various clubs of doctrine. It's like, guys, what are you doing? Yeah. Stop. <laughs> but it's, but it's easy. It's easy for all of us as men to do that men and, and women. And, and there's a lot of that. So it's, it's not to say one or the other, but I get yeah. it. It's really not so different from the conversation that we had in regards to husbands and wives. I mean, there's, you know, that yeah. you can lead people in the church to truth and you know you can do that as you said like with various clubs of doctrine where you just you know you seek to smash and drive this truth into someone's head but you know the 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 way that you go about it and this isn't everything i mean ultimately truth is god's truth is is the truth but like there isn't anything appealing to it there isn't like why why would like if if this is if this is what this doctrine has led to in you then you know, the, the thing that I'm seeing in you is not a desirable trait. Why would I want that in and of myself? And why would I, why would I be inclined to mm. believe this? And it isn't about as a pastor, like I'm not seeking to, to be manipulative or deceitful and, and try to lead people to the, to the truth just so that they can have the truth. Like I want them to understand it. I want them to take hold of it with their own hands and for it to become real to them. I want it to, to become not just you know, dusty theology on a shelf, like these books behind me, but a theology that, that they take and believe in and apply in their own lives. Like when I came to understand, 
something like divine simplicity—the fact that you know that God isn't made up of parts and He doesn't change—it it it altered in the best way possible. It altered the way that I pray. That you know, I'm seeking mm-hmm. to enter into prayer to align my my heart with the Lord's um, you know, to to get in tune um, or in rhythm with His heart to want what He wants to. So that, that's just one really quick example of just a theology applied is you know, such as that. Like it's just, it changes the way I pray. Being post-mail changes what I do from day to day. It's, you know, that's what I want people to have. I don't like, I don't just want people to have a head full of knowledge because then, you know, again, we're just, then we're just trying to be reformed for the sake of being reformed and, and, you know, shouting it from the rooftop. So everybody knows Again, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. Right. I found, I found reform doctrine to be profoundly liberating. Oh, hundred percent. In the, in the best way. But I, but, but people don't have that experience. Like when people talk about Calvinists, like, like Doug Wilson talks about Chestertonian Calvinism, yeah. which he has a good laugh about because, <laughs> because he, I guess uh, GK Chesterton had some choice words about Calvinists. Yeah. And so he, so Doug makes some pretty funny comments about that. But the experience seems to be when I say, I don't know that I'm Calvinist in terms of the church that I go to. It's not a Calvinist, you know, capital, you know, big capital C. But like when I tell people that their experience of people who are Calvinists is that they're severe and I guess angry and harsh. And I, I don't, I've never understood that because it's like, here's doctrine that I can like solid rock that I can lay down on and be supported yeah. by. Which I, which again, after spending forty years swimming in the world of the New Age, was so re- re- refreshing to find. Like, oh, here is the rock I can be on. And again, I guess some people like to use that rock to throw at others. Yeah, man, it's because we're prideful, and now we have this this newly attained mm. knowledge that other people don't have, and whether we mean to or not, oftentimes the outworking of that is, man, look at this simpleton that doesn't know these things that. You know, and I've, I'd even said to, to people in our own, in our church, in terms of like, because like the guy that I told you about earlier, the younger guy that I was discipling, like he didn't hold to doctrines of grace. He wasn't reformed. Um, he ascribes to all of that now. But uh, so now he's, he's multiplying my efforts that I've, I've, I've put forth in him and discipling him. And he's, he's, he's seeking to do the same thing with other men. And, um, I have told him and I've told others in our church is just like, Hey, just remember when, when you, when you present this, when you have these conversations with people, because I know that he is, he shares them with me. Um, remember to, to, to be really patient and gentle, like always seek truth, always desire truth. But, um, remember that you ought to be gentle and you ought to be really gracious because, um, I think the way I put it, towards him was like, um, you didn't know any of this stuff two minutes ago. Like, you know, you were in the same spot, not literally two minutes ago, but you know, you like, you were, you were in the same spot. You didn't know. And I could have just hit you over the head with it. And and so, yeah, it's because knowledge puffs us up. It makes us prideful and you got to get rid of that. You got to cut, you know, you got to let the Holy spirit cut that out of you. Um, that's what I love about, you know, Paul's language in Ephesians when he says to put off the old man, to put off the old self. The language 
is like to, it, it's as if you're taking off old, worn out, useless clothing and you're throwing it in the burn pile. Like get rid of it. It's no good anymore. It doesn't serve you uh, in in terms of your pursuit of holiness. Put on Christ. And so, I mean, you just look at the ways that Christ dealt with people in the scriptures. You know, different times. You know, he could have just. And I think, yeah, he did with the right people. He did with the Pharisees. He did with some other people. Like, you know, how is it you don't know these things? Or his own disciples. Like, you know, you've been with me all this time and you still don't know. But like, that's that was seldom. We don't mm-hmm. see that a lot. You know, he spoke truth. Woman at the well, he spoke truth. But, um, you know, he, 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 he said it in a way that it, it made it receptive. And like, that's the thing. You even said it. Like, the, the Reformed tradition, Reformed theology, I mean, it's so freeing. It ought to be the most encouraging thing. We receive. We know that we've received so much abundant grace. Um, we should seek to put forth that same level of of grace and humility in dealing with other people. I can see this really reflected in my life, um, because when I was, I, I the only, uh, I've only ever belonged to one church, and that's Apology. I've only ever attended two churches and the other church I went to, I just went once. Yeah. So I have very limited experience within the Christian, within the Christian church. I went right into, I went into one of the, one of the best churches in America. And I've reflected, <laughs> I've reflected on that. Like, I, I feel like there was a lot of providence over me moving to Phoenix in the first place. And like, how did I end up yeah. here? So, but the way that I can relate to that is from within my experience in the new age world. I remember when I went out, um, and I've talked about this a lot you know, what led me out of that world was a recognition that evil is real and, um, and it can't be denied. It can't be denied as a, as a trick of our subjective imagination and not everything is one because I don't think you can make the moral case that evil in the world is some, is some sort of trick. And I could give examples of that, but we can all see it now. But I remember when I first had that realization, I, I, I was pretty rough with people about it. Like, like I, I was, cause I was, I was baffled how all these people just couldn't see it. Like, how can you not see this? And I can look at that, you know, cause that's the only frame of reference I really have to understand, but I don't think it's all that different to say like, yeah, there's, when you get a bit of knowledge, it can be really easy to turn that knowledge into a weapon rather than a tool, a tool to liberate. Now that said, I used it to liberate myself. However, I probably could have been much more gentle in my confrontations with some of the people that were just showing up looking for all the things that we were there for and, and use it as a way to invite them out. But I guess at that point, I didn't really know that there was a way out. So, but it, within my own context, it was, it was, I was definitely less gentle with those bits of knowledge than I could have been. Yeah, yeah sure. Me too. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had to learn over time. I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've told people oftentimes that, I had a, a lot of really sharp edges on me, a lot of really, really sharp corners that the Lord has just had to smooth down over time um, with the truth of his word. And man, like that, that requires being honest with yourself and doing a lot of self-reflection, you know, using the scriptures as a mirror for your lives, for your life. And, you know, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, that's a hard place to get to. For people to want to willingly take a critical look at themselves and and make those changes, and so oftentimes my experience has been when you have other people, uh, pastors who are willing to enter into into the fray with you and and, and lead you through those things, uh, including your own your own failures, your own experiences, your own hurts and heartache. 
yeah, it lends oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes to a much greater level of success and seeing growth and change occur in people's lives. It's slow. It's not, you know, it's like our church isn't, mm-hmm. we're not growing fast um, in terms of number, in terms of people coming, but, um, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing heart change. We're seeing growth. We're seeing the, the natural outworking of, you know, the, the word of God being planted in, in hearts and minds of people. So this brings us back around to um, how how um, it sort of went off on this on this journey is, is about masculine community building, because there's a way to build community as men where it's where it can be very much like I'm right and this is the way that what I say goes mm-hmm. right and I think that's that that's very that's very familiar or very handy but there's a component of of masculine community building today where it's like, I'm just a man that I've made mistakes that I'm my own human being and I've learned lessons and I have those lessons to impart. And I'm showing up as, as a friend, um, as a friend said, with both a sword and a shepherd's staff, mm-hmm. right? Like it's both like, it's not, and, and there's a way in which you have to kind of lead as a, as a man art first in an, <laughs> but we live in this masculine dialogue where it's like, you have to be the the legalism is like you must be impenetrable, and so we're navigating this way forward in this this larger context dialogue of masculinity with this legalism. But what we're talking about right now is a very different form of male leadership. Yeah, yeah, I think that it it's it's a form of of male leadership. It's a form of masculinity that is a little bit you know going against the grain of of you know the, the current you know, mantra of masculinity and culture of just that men don't cry. Men don't show emotion. Men don't apologize. Men, you know, fill in the blank. It's just, you know, you're strong, you're, you're resilient, you're bulletproof, you're, um, and, you know, in in many respects, I would agree with that. I think like there are times where, um, you don't, you don't put, you don't let allow your emotions to be put forward. You know, you just, um, you just, you know, you focus on the task at hand, you know, that, that expressing your emotion in this time um, isn't going to contribute to the the outcome that, that is needed. And so it, whether that's in, in, in work or in leading your family. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's times and instances where that's the case, but, you know, to think that we can just never, ever do that. Um, I think that that's, I think that's foolish, and I think that that's self-sabotaging, you know, that if we're men to say, like, I don't need friends, you know, I just just work, and I've got my wife, and I've got my kids. No, we need brotherhood. We need need accountability. We need to be vulnerable. We need to open up with people. We need to be real with folks, and there's a time and a place. There's, There's a certain context for those things to occur, and other times where they shouldn't. Um, rather than just this, you know, this extreme form of masculinity that just never ever show any signs of weakness whatsoever. Um, man, I used to I used to think that way. I used to do those things, um, especially in my own marriage and in ministry. That I just whatever I felt in terms of weakness, not measuring up. Um, 
know, being depressed, whatever. Uh, I just push it down, just push it down and, and like lean into whatever the thing is and just, and just keep driving forward. And, um, in, in terms of my marriage, like I did that and I didn't share things with my wife. I didn't, I didn't open up about certain things cause I didn't think that I could. Um, cause I didn't think she, you know, I, I, I thought that it would affect her in a negative way. And so like, yeah, just, just bury this stuff down, push forward until, you know, until it all came crashing down. Right? And when I, when I walked away from the faith and, you know, she said that she didn't know if our marriage was going to, was going to make it. And, uh, and it was in that time that I realized um, in relation to her and in relation to other men that, you know, I don't, I don't have to be, I don't have to be a tank all the time that I can let, unless some of, some of those fears and anxieties and insecurities out with the right people that I, I can entrust them to my wife at times, you know, other men. And, uh, there are, there, there's such value in that, that regardless of what any man is going to try to, to, to say in terms of like, I don't need other people Yeah, Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Um, nobody is, is built or wired for, you know, just a, a life of solitude and, and like nobody has all of the tools they need and no man has all of the tools that they need to, to be able to, to go through this life, just tackling everything that, that, that might be thrown at them. And so, um, you know, just to, to be, be willing to recognize that. And some of that, especially within the manosphere is just really not caring what other people think about you. Is like, oh, you, you know, you think that, you think that's weak, you think that's beta, you think that whatever, I don't care. Um, you know, I, I care what, I care what, I care what God uh, thinks about me. I care what, you know, the people who are in my life think about me, you know, the, the members of my church, my wife, my kids, my friends, uh, the people who are in brotherhood with me. I don't. I'm not interested in, in, you know, just like putting on this, this display, this facade of, of, you know, look how strong I am. Look how I can just, I can handle everything. So anyways, in that, I don't know if you can hear that. That's my dog barking. Hopefully you can. Um, mm-hmm. um, okay. It's fine. Uh, Dogs are alive. Um, and honestly, man, like for men, I would want them to hear, like there's something that's, that's, so freeing and so helpful in that when you're willing to open up to other people, other men, you know, and like maybe without getting into the specifics of it, like, man, like you and I talked just a couple of weeks ago and, you know, in a moment where I was really struggling and I really needed to talk to somebody else. And, you know, I was, I shared my hurts and my struggles with you and, and you heard them and there was no shame. There was no, there was no guilt. There was no like, Oh, Brandon, why don't, why don't you just like, why don't you just man up and still with the thing? And like, there, you know, there was no guilt on my part in sharing those yeah. things with you. Like, Oh, I'm, I wonder what Will's going to think about me. Like he's going to think that I'm not as much of a man um, as I want him to think. When instead, like, man, you just, 
you were there, you heard the things that I had to say, you encouraged me, you prayed with me, and my spirits were lifted in the moment. The rest of the day was better as a result of it. You know, I was able to get some work done. And yeah, it's just because none of us um, are, are fully equipped for all of the things all of the time. And that's okay to admit. And it's okay to, to admit that you need other people to help along the way. Certainly within, within manhood, within masculinity, you know. Yeah, guys need to come to a, a much better understanding and acceptance of that. Mm, I agree. And I appreciated I appreciated that you called me. I appreciated that you gave me the mm. that you gave me the chance to uh to to be there with you in that moment and to work through those things and to talk about those things. It was a gift, it was a gift to me. And men are we're weird in that like that seems to be the the usual experience that like, you know, we're when we're given the opportunity to be there for somebody, we're always grateful for it. But we never, but we never want to put that on anybody else. Like we're always grateful when people do it to us, but I could never do it to anyone else. And so it was a, it was a real gift to me, you know, to be able to talk through those things. And and I've been I've, I've been praying for you every night since then. And so it was an added gift to me because I've been learning <laughs> learning how to pray for people's well being. Like tell me tell me what I can pray for for you, so I can so I can offer that. And and it's teaching me how to do it. And that. That came all that all those blessings came as a result of that moment of I don't I don't think it's weakness at all. Like some men would say it's weakness. I don't it, it takes profound strength to ask for help in the right yeah, way. That's right. It really, really does. It's it's not a moment like weakness is like come and come and save me, I'm not capable. And and there's a way in which it, it'd be easy for any human being to fall into that, right? Which is but there's a component of like I need help with this thing. And I recognize, I recognize that I'm capable, but this thing I'm struggling with is very different versus a, a complete lack of faith in self. And maybe that's, that's the difference between asking for help and, and, and needing to be rescued. And, you know, hey, we all, as men, we all as men may need to be rescued someday. Like circumstances happen where it's like, I'm way outside of my depth. That could happen to any of us at any time. So there's some grace for that. But to be able to open up to another man who you trust, whoever that is, brother, husband, father, church member, pastor, whatever, as men to be able to say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, I think is a move that as men, we all have to develop and, and really get good at. Otherwise, if we're just relying on our own strength, it's not going to be enough. It's ne- our own strength is never enough. That's the, you know, I, I can do all things through God who, who strengthens me and God also works through other people. Yeah. Right? So maybe we can take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that that I mean, certainly this is this is in terms of of the the, the existence of of the church. But you know, the the way that the, the language that Paul uses so often is uh, in in relation to a body or or a building. You know, but but both yeah. being comprised of parts. Um. You know that that we we are members of the same body with Christ as our head, so that's who we look to. That's um, that's that's mm. that's our um, you know that's the the perfect pastor, that's the perfect shepherd or, or or priest that we look to. But but we're all parts of the same body. We all work in unison with one another, supporting and strengthening one another, and 
and giving assistance to one another. And so like just to borrow from that and, and apply it to our relationships, um, certainly within, within, uh, you know, Christian brethren, brothers and sisters of the faith, like we, we should understand as Christian men, you, know, you and I speaking like, and, and you know, for anyone listening, man or woman, like that, that we're not meant to just, to do it alone and, and to just have all of, of, of the, the, the tools and the skills to, to tackle everything that we're going to face in this life. We were never designed for that. We were designed for community. We were designed to be familial. We were designed to be together. We were designed um, to, to prop one another up, to incur, you know, to, to be a, a, a source of, of shelter and strength and encouragement and correction and all of those other things. And so I don't understand. I mean, I, I get it because I've experienced it, but like it's been so freeing and it's led me to a place of now where I just almost can't understand this other idea of just not letting people in, not, um, again, as, as cliched as it sounds and, and as, as many Christians as I know that hate the language, it's like really entering into life and doing life with one another and bearing one another's burdens and, um, I mean, it's been, it's been so free. It's been, um, it's been so encouraging. It's been, it's been so uplifting to both, to, to both give and receive in, in those scenarios, you know, to be able to be that source of strength and support for another, to be able to receive that support and strength from another. And so men just need to get over themselves and all of these ideas of just how, you know, how much of a commando they need to be, I guess. And, and yeah, just lean in, lean into needing the help and strength and support of other people. I think a lot of that probably comes from a lot of the fear probably comes from the father famine, right? The idea that, um, that maybe we had to keep it all together for the benefit because we grew up with a single mom who couldn't handle if, if we were, if we weren't capable or maybe because our dad never taught, was never around to teach us the right relationship to our emotion when we were young, when we were boys, for example, yeah. or maybe it's because, you know, I like to say that we, we have such an acute father hunger. And so now we have a bunch of older brothers trying to sort it out and older brothers kind of bully each other and push each other around, you know, and aren't really capable of at least until later, I guess, really being there for each other. I don't have an older brother, but these are my observations. And meanwhile, you have a bunch of guys who are trying really hard in the right way, in a good way, to try and build something about masculinity that's durable, that can withstand the storm of life, and that can also shepherd women and children and families and the generations. And it's like we almost, we almost don't really know what we're doing. But it's like, and, and the whole story of the Renaissance of Men as this 40-year process is, is a whole bunch of, is a series of um, purposeful mistakes. Like, let's take this shot at what masculinity is. Okay, that, that's, we got something right there. Let's take this shot and this shot. And it's like very slowly the groupings have narrowed down to actually something that's real. And what always get, and, and so it's, it's, it's culminating in, a, in this rediscovery, this, this revival of Christianity where it's like where you have to, we're rooting masculinity in that, which is a whole other conversation. But the, the last step is really to say the full picture of masculinity is the full picture of humanity. 
and you can't leave anything out. You can't leave out emotions. You can't leave out women. You can't leave out children. You can't, you can't leave out brotherhood and you can't be invulnerable and impenetrable. You have to keep all these things in balance. And that's the true task and challenge of being a man. And it's a massive challenge that we're navigating on our own. And that's the purpose of brothers though, is so that we can be like, we can, we can almost compare notes yeah. and see how we're doing, figuring that out because we're left on our own to kind of, we're left on our own, not totally on our own, but we're left to figure it out for ourselves. Yeah. hundred percent. The, you know, I, I think the best lessons for us to be able to learn successfully in that is, is by doing it together is learning with one another and from one another, you know, from, from the things that we do right and the things that we do wrong. And so, you know, like for me, um, and I think, you know, you were spot on, like in terms of, of father famine and you know, father hunger and, and how it's contributed to this just really distorted view of masculinity. So for me, when I say that before I cared so much about what people thought about me, it was because ultimately I discovered that it was because I had this, this overwhelming desire to, um, for people's approval, you know, because, because I grew up without the approval of my dad. Um, when I just, you know, every, every kid wants that, you know, I've seen that in my own children. I'm just like, Hey, Hey dad, watch this, you know? And so for me, that was, that was mostly absent from, from my life. And so I cared deeply what people thought about me. And, you know, so like when I say now, I don't care what people think about me. It isn't that like, I'm just some cold, heartless jerk that doesn't care. Of course I care but I'm not seeking people's approval anymore. And so then that's been really freeing because now, um, like I've already said, like I'm, I'm not interested in, in being right. So like everybody can say, Oh, look how, look how smart Brandon is. You know, look, look how articulate Brandon is. Look how fill in the blank. Like, I don't care about those things. I care about the truth. I care about us growing and, yeah, and, and, and pursuing holiness. And so when I say that I don't care what people think about me, that's what I, that's what I mean. I'm not I'm no longer seeking to gain people's approval okay. so that I can feel good about myself inside because I, you know, because I didn't have enough of that as a child growing up. I like, I like what you said about um, pursuing holiness to bring that back because that's a huge part of it as well. Is that, is that a masculinity, you know, balanced physically strong and emotionally strong and, and mentally strong and even a strong spirit without rooting in the continual pursuit of holiness goes awry very, very quickly. And that one element can keep you on track when, because I guess that's, that's the error. That's the thing that corrects the error to say that, okay, if I'm growing as a man and rediscovering this from within myself and and from the Bible and from brotherhood, how do I know what's true if, I, if my environment isn't necessarily at the stage to give me that feedback? Well, what's holy? And that will always, that can reorient you to go in the right direction. And, and I think I tweeted last week, like, um, I, I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but, you know, one of the great things about the Christian life is even if you can't always say necessarily what's right, it can tell you what's wrong. Like maybe you won't always find the answer of what to do, but at least you can say what not to do, right? Okay, that is definitely wrong. So now I have a, so, so in choosing between, you know, a bunch of different right options that are right for different ways, 
what's the holy thing to do? And the powerful error correction of that, making a decision, a decision from that place, how powerful that can be. Like, okay, I didn't know the right thing to do, but I tried to assume, I tried to discern what the most holy thing was. And I did that. You can sleep at night with an idea like that. Like you can fall asleep with a clear conscience with something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. That, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it is, is really truly just the, the desire and the pursuit of, it's, it's just to, to glorify the Lord and to enjoy him in all that we do and, and to experience because God is a good and faithful father. He, you know, he rewards that. And, you know, sometimes that's just in the form of, of, you know, spiritual maturity and, and growing in deeper understandings and applications of, of his word. And so, um, you know, again, like you, and you even said this yourself earlier and, 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 and I'm echoing it, that within the reformed tradition, it, it, there's just so much freedom. There's, there's so, there's so much grace for us to just be able to, I hope to just just be our, our genuine selves. You know, everybody's just in the Lord pursuing God and growing in that. And we can just cast off all of this other stuff, man. of just like, Oh, this is what it means to be a man. Or this is, you know, um, it doesn't mean that I don't still get into to arguments with people, but <laughs> um, you know, of course. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, really, my, like my answer is, you know, just, just pursue holiness, man. Go read Holiness by J.C. Ryle and just like seek to do those things. He also has a book, I think it's called like Advice to Young Men or something like uh, that. That's how I heard yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Can't remember the exact title. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It'll come to me in a second, maybe. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, yeah, he's phenomenal so- to read. So I'd, I'd recommend it. It's actually, it's, I, I think it's this book right here. Yeah. The red yeah, one, the red one, you know, cause I took the, uh, I just, I took the dust jacket off of it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now we're here. Okay. So what's going on with the dust jacket thing? <laughs> That's been, I've seen that. Oh, just when things started to settle down on Twitter, Brandon had to do the, Throw dust them in the trash, get rid of them. You know, <laughs> you don't need them. <laughs> why are they there um yeah that's a good question i don't know um no nah, you know they protect books and they some people think they look really nice but, yeah, yeah, uh, no. yeah i i'm not a fan so i get rid of them yeah yeah it makes it lends a more refined robust look to the bookshelf to have something you know uh whatever that it's embroidered it's that um when you imprinted gold on them on the on the on the spine yeah. Versus the printed dust dust jacket. Right. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit um, because I want to talk to you about coffee. Okay. Uh, because and 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 this isn't. I don't think it's going too far. I don't think it's going too far off the track because um, because it, it enters into your story about like 14 years ago, and so I'm actually kind of curious, like how that thread intertwines. Because everything that we've talked about is, you know, is, is pastoral ministry, building masculine community, fa- family, redemption, you know, brotherhood, all these, all these different things, and they all kind of manifest in what is it? What do we do? Like, what do we do? What do we? What do we do professionally? What do we give our time to? What do we give when we've built a family? We've built a community around us, and we have a church to go to. 
there's still the question of I've got these two hands. What do I do? What do I do with them? And that's holy to create prosperity for myself. What's generative? To go back to a word that I had said earlier. Yeah, we 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 should like we should seek to do something, and that you know the, I think the Lord has given us the the responsibility and opportunity to be able to do those things that uh, we 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 don't just retreat uh, into our homes or into our churches and just stay tucked away and safe there that uh, so so one aspect of it is is in relation to me starting up Reformation Coffee it was very much birthed out of a out of a hobby and a passion for coffee and and I could talk about that here in a minute but then it really grew into uh, as as I was encouraged and, and learning about the need for building, like as the Christendom conversation really began to build over the past couple of years and, and uh, coming to an understanding of what my role could be in that in, in terms of building a Christian institution or, or establishment in, in the form of a business that can honor the Lord and offer, whether it's goods and services or, or, or you know, support of some sort, for me, it's it's it is a, a good, uh, you know, a, a product. But that you know, I can do that, and it it provides a means for others, for other Christians, to you know, to have an alternative to um, all of the other options out there that that are are going in the opposite direction, that hate the things that God loves, and that love the things that God hates, and um, who profane the the name of Christ and. Um, because I think that all of the world belongs to Christ and he's the king of all of it, then everything that we do in this life ought to be done to, to bring honor and glory to his name and, and to, to put forth his, his gospel message. And so, so that's certainly one really big part of, uh, what we do is Reformation coffee. Like I said, it was born out of a hobby and a passion. I did start roasting about, been really kind of probably 15 years ago now where I just loved coffee and I wanted better coffee. And, you know, uh, I've said before that the really the specialty coffee scene didn't really exist all that much 15 years ago. I mean, it was, it was here and there, but not like it is today. You had Starbucks and I knew even back then that I didn't want that. Um, because, you know, contrary to what some people might think, like Starbucks just isn't good coffee and it never has been. Um, they have a very no. successful um, business model. And so I give them credit for that, but that doesn't equate to quality coffee. And they've con- part of that successful business model has been convincing people that <laughs> it's good coffee. Um, and so uh, I... Does anyone really think that? Yeah, I encountered it just maybe a week or two ago when I was encouraging people to stop buying from Starbucks. And someone told me that it's just better than others. Yeah. The, the gears... The, that is inappropriate. The gears in my head started to <laughs> seize up. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand these words that are coming out of your mouth. <laughs> that's when it's appropriate just to, to use the not the club of knowledge yeah. on somebody. I think that's actually okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and so, yeah, so, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good, man. So, so yeah, my, my desire was just to have a better coffee. And so I just sought to, to learn and began 
teaching myself and making mistakes along the way. And over the years, uh, my ability and my methods uh, continue to improve. And so then it just turned into, and, and uh, you've, you've heard this story, but it, it, it turned into uh, just kind of a small hobby business for friends and family, coworkers, church members, things like that. And then, and, and then we, we got the idea that we, we can and, and probably should seek to really make something out of this and to push back against all of the, the woke, you know, worldly pagan affirming all the, you know, all the, all, all the things that you see in companies like Starbucks and Black Rifle and, and all of the others. And, you know, so our desire was to, to start a business that put forth a, a quality uh, product in uh, coffee and also customer service, but that ultimately um, glorified the Lord and, and built into our understanding of building into Christendom and creating generational wealth and, um, you know, being able to, to, to build into a more localized uh, Christian economy. I mean, certainly that spreads out further, but, um, how, you know, many of the people, all of the people in, in my church see Reformation coffee as really in an unofficial sense is kind of a part of what we do at, at, at you know, a part of, of my role within Coram Deo that, that it's, um, I'm seeking to build this thing that is attached to this other thing that I'm like the two institutions, two of the institutions that I'm seeking to build, which is Coram Deo uh, Reformed Baptist Church and Reformation Coffee. Like they're, they're tethered together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fifth and final episode of Will Reforms His Coffee. I've been reforming my coffee experience from diner drip to pour-over evangelist, and after discussing the equipment, the process, my early failures, and my progress, today I'll give my final report on the experience. Ladies and gentlemen, my coffee experience has been reformed. I'll be honest and say that going into this process, I wasn't sure that much would change. I didn't think the quality difference of the brew would be worth the effort, especially coming from a brew it and forget background. I couldn't see how spending money on the equipment would be worth it for the result. And I thought that doing that much work just to make coffee couldn't possibly be worth the trouble. Well, I'm happy to say I was wrong. Making pour over coffee has now become part of my daily ritual. I wake up and look forward to it, Drinking coffee has become an event rather than a taken-for-granted fact of life. Now, I'm by no means good at this yet. I went to my local coffee shop this weekend and ordered their pour-over and was promptly blown away. I've got no idea what they're doing or how, but it doesn't taste like mine does. They're surely using some sort of ancient coffee magic or something. So I've still got a ways to go. But I understand the process well enough to begin to see the tiny adjustments I can make that might make a big difference. To be fair, there are a couple things I don't love about it. First, there's the wastefulness of one paper filter per cup. But as it turns out, there are also several videos about French press techniques as well. So I have the opportunity to get good at more than one style of coffee making. Maybe I'll even mess around and get a Chemex. Try and stop me. And second, I'm not a fan of some of the equipment I bought because I didn't know what I needed from it in the first place. Rookie mistake. So I'll get the chance to upgrade. And that's the best part. 
Not only does my coffee taste better and I'm more invested in the process, but I also know that over time, my cups of coffee will only improve as I do. I'll find the techniques that produce the flavors I like, the equipment I enjoy using, and I can share the results with others. Much to my surprise, really, reforming my coffee has become the start of an epic adventure and the introduction to a lifelong journey of learning and creativity. Did not see that coming. And I have one man to thank, my guest this week, Brandon Lansdowne. Reformation Coffee's sponsorship of this podcast gave me the impetus to try something new, and the quality of his coffee has absolutely made it worth it. I would have been content how I did things before, until I heard the call to adventure in his coffee beans and the opportunity he gave me. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. You can help me thank Brandon, Cassie, Matt, and the entire Reformation Coffee family by going to reformationcoffee.com and subscribing to their monthly service, where you'll get fresh roasted coffee delivered regularly to your door. It won't have been sitting on the shelf at the supermarket for days or weeks. Brandon roasts your coffee fresh with each order and ships out within 72 hours. And I can tell you, that makes a difference. If you go to reformationcoffee.com right now and enter the code SUBFREE, you'll get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. And thank you for coming along with me on this journey. God willing, Reformation Coffee and I will be working together for a while. So from time to time, I'll drop in a little update about how my coffee journey is going. I look forward to sharing it with you. And once again, I encourage you to go to reformationcoffee.com right now and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription in the hopes that it'll inspire you to reform your coffee experience as well. Thank you so much for coming along with me on this adventure. God bless. And now, back to the show. For those who are listening along with Will Reforms His Coffee, they would have heard episode four by now where I kind of gave my preliminary report. So so episode three was uh, me making my first pour over cups and discovering that getting YouTube certified was not sufficient. <laughs> I made uh, I made rather, I made coffee flavor waters as I described it. And so I've, I've had a, a bit of time to practice since then, about, about a week and a half. And uh, I've actually come to really appreciate it and really and, and really enjoy it, especially the especially the process. Um, I, I I think I would say I, I probably enjoy the process of making a pour over cup the most out of out of the out of the experience. Like the coffee, of course, is measurably better from like pouring hot water, dumping hot water in a French press and letting it sit for a minute and then and then drinking it. But but the actual process of making the cup, I I, I enjoy um, I enjoy the uh, the little ritual. But I, I don't understand the process of roasting coffee because I know that it says on the back of of, um, of the Guatemala roast, which I was drinking today, it says the process, it says washed. There's a bunch of little details mm-hmm. about the various preparation methods. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you can walk me and the listeners through like some of the different things or how you got into roasting like coffee, like how, how you've learned because it's been, you know, it's been 14 years. And I don't know the first thing about roasting coffee except for that. Um, You've got green coffee beans, and then what comes out is is uh, is brown coffee beans, and then I grind them up and I drink I drink the results. But um, maybe you could like talk a little bit about that because I literally know nothing. Yeah. yeah so um, the, the the there are different ways to process coffee, and and the processing takes place when it's still in its raw state. And so this is really because so, like the coffee 
for anybody that doesn't know, is essentially is it's not a bean, it's a seed inside of a fruit, a cherry of sorts. And so the 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 cherry the, oh. the, the 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 pulp of the fruit is then removed, and uh, and and like I mean, you can make you can make drinks and teas and different things out of that. It, it doesn't have to be wasted, but but um, but the seed inside is the coffee bean. And so there's different ways to process that and you can process it, uh, with the fruit still on it, or you can, you know, you, you can process it, um, by, by setting it out in the sun and letting it dry naturally, or you can, you can go, it, you can go through what's called a washing process where it, it sets in water for a time. And so it's really essentially just creating different types of a fermentation process in the bean, which brings forth different attributes of, uh, in, in terms of body and flavor. Uh, profile things of that nature and so um, a good example of that is like with our with our India uh, it, it undergoes a monsoon what's called a monsoon process and this is a relatively new hmm. process I don't really know how old it's been but in terms of like specialty coffee it's still relatively new on this scene and so uh, what that process is is they take the you know they take the, the bean that is, is grown there in the region and they put it in a silo and, uh, and they let it sit and dry. But then when monsoon season comes, they open these, these windows on the side of the silos and they let the, the, the salt water that's in the air move inside and circulate inside the silo. And then it kind of settles on the beans and it causes a, a particular fermentation process to, to take place. And as a result, like compared to all of the other single origins that we offer, our India, I tell people, is really the most unique. I'll tell people often that it's weird, but in a good way. And it's because of the process that it, it underwent. Um, it's just different than um, than doing like a water process or a natural process um, or a honey process. We, you know, you keep the fruit on the bean for a while. It just creates... It's like most things when you get into, you know, more specialty or craft areas of, man, you, you, it's whiskey, wine, you know, cigars, and coffee's really no different. Craft beer, you know, it's, it's just like all of these little tweaks here and there that you can do to, to have a different um, product on the back end. And so which one did you get, which one did you start with? Well, I hear these terms like single origin, all this stuff. I yeah. don't know. What, I don't necessarily know yeah, what they so, mean. So you, I might ask you to unpack so all this I don't, stuff I don't like, I, the, I don't under, I, I don't apply the, the processing. All the processing is done, you know, by the farm. Um, and then, and okay. yeah, yeah, that's, that's done on site, you know, at the farm and, and yeah, the monsoon you would have to yeah, do that. Yeah. Probably. I can't do it in, in Southwest Missouri. There's no monsoons here. Um, yeah. Single origin means that it is um, it is from a, a single region and, and a single farm, um, and so when you know people will say like some people will refer to our coffee as like oh I really like the I really like the Ethiopian blend. Well, it's it's not a blend; it's a single origin. It comes from one farm in one region in Ethiopia, so it is it isn't like. I might have used that word blend. A lot, a lot of people have. It's really no, you know, it's it's just it's part of it. So that's the difference between a blend and a single origin. And a, a blend can be a number of things. I mean, it could be different beans from different regions in Ethiopia, or it could be, 
you know, beans from Ethiopia and beans from Brazil, and you blend them together. Um, so it's really that simple. A single origin is just, it comes from a single origin, one farm in one region. Um, it would be, you know, similar to like, a, like, you know, a, a single barrel whiskey, you know, it's, it's that, you know, all of that whiskey that's in the, in the bottle came out of one barrel instead of it coming out of a hundred different barrels. And so what would be, what would be the advantage of why someone would do a single origin? Again, this is like, explain it to me like I'm yeah. five territory because yeah, sure. I'm learning as well. Like, cause I, I've, you know, so, so, cause I've learned the, the, the technical aspects of the process mm-hmm. But what happens on the back end of the bean, whether at the grower or at the, you know, at the, at the silo or whether by the time it gets to you and what you do, like all the things that go in, I have a pretty good grasp, but like when you put it in the bag and it gets to me, like, we don't, <laughs> but I mean, up to that point, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a big, there's a big, uh, 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 fog over the, over the process. So what would be the advantages between like a, a blend why, you know, I, I, I gather that a blend would be probably cheaper in some ways versus a single origin, or maybe there are other advantages yeah. as well in the in the in the specialty coffee. Yeah, system. generally a blend is is going to be uh, cheaper in most instances. Not always. There's probably a few exceptions. And uh, really, the 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 main thing that I think people are after, and you know, single origins are are mainly just sought after in specialty coffee like most of the the coffee that you buy in the store maybe all of the coffee that you buy off the shelf in the grocery store is going to be a blend Um, a a single Mm. origin is going to lend to a more uh, unique flavor Um, it's going to have you know this is where we start using words like like body and, and, and mouthfeel and profile, like you're going to have all of those things that are going to be much more prevalent in a single origin. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be much more akin to like a fine wine. that's just been really dialed in and, and, um, and that's where the process comes into play and, and um, all of those things that, that attribute to the, the flavor and the profile and the mouthfeel and, and all of that. And so um, this is where just like really, quality especially coffee shines um and is set apart and that's why you know when people it pains me a little bit when people say ah coffee is coffee no 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 it's not it's not um you know there's there's and and like you know i'm willing to to say that you know hey you, you like what you like and so you know if you like duncan then okay you like it but I think I can say objectively there is a better way, but ultimately at the end of the day, you like what you like, but that's where origin and processing and, and, and then roasting, you know, that, uh, I don't roast on a, on a mass scale. I roast, um, on a smaller scale to where I can really fine tune things and get the roast to turn out exactly how I want. Um, so that, you know, by the time it gets to you, it can hopefully give you a really quality fresh cup of coffee. And so, yeah, you know, I, um, it comes out of a, a passion and a labor for love, a labor of love. Um, just like you said, like you've, you've come to appreciate the process of making a pour over the ritual of it. And like, I totally understand once you said that, I'm like, yep, I totally get it. I understand that. 
Like that's the whole thing for me is that, um, and so then I take all of that, that passion and that, that, that appreciation and that desire. And then I pair that with my Christian faith and my desire to, to glorify the Lord in something that he has, you know, he's gifted me to do. And, but yeah, that, <clears throat> that gets us off into, I guess, a, a little bit of a different realm of, of conversation. And maybe you don't want to move on from the, hmm. the, the, the origin and process just yet. Not yet. Okay. Perfect. Because, because, um, because I, I have, I'm curious about, um, I, I, and I do, I do want to talk about that, about that though, because I think how we do a thing is as important as what it is that we're doing, but I still have questions about like the what. So, okay. So what you receive, um, what you receive in the mail is, is a, uh, I guess from UPS is a, is a big heavy bag full of, of uh, unroasted coffee cherries, coffee beans that have gone through various processes, like must giant sacks of coffee beans, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we get uh, we get fifty pound bags of uh, raw <laughs> wow. raw green coffee beans delivered here, and uh, and then I I sort them all out and put them in in their designated spot so that I know what's what. And, you know, we'll do all kinds of inspections and different things, just looking at the beans and making sure that it measures up. And, you know, I've, I've done enough of a vetting process with the people, companies who supply me with coffee beans to know that they're, they're a good quality. Cause you know, like anything else you can, you can get a product even before it's roasted, you can get coffee beans that are no good. So, you know, and, and you want uniformity of size and shape and color, those types of things. And then, yeah. And then, then, uh, from there, uh, I'll I'll roast it as orders come in and, and and get them shipped out. It doesn't come with the fruit on it. It's just raw, dry, green coffee beans. And then, so what sort of things? So for you, as the roaster, as you're tran- as you're turning these um, these sort of raw green beans into into a roasted product, like what sort of things are you doing along the way? Like obviously, you're putting them in the in the roaster, but are there other stages of the process because imagine it's quite a lot to get good at you've been doing it for 14 years so there's probably countless things that i can't even imagine yeah you use your you learn to use your senses a lot and so that would be uh your sight hearing and smell and so sight you're you're looking at the color of the, the bean along the way during the roast because it'll go from green uh, to kind of pale and then yellow, and then it'll start to brown and get darker and darker. And this is occurring, you know, because the you know the internal temperature of the bean is heating up and it's it's starting to 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 burn off sugars and and uh, and so you're using your sight to to observe the the color of the bean. You're using your smell really in the same way and. Um, I've never really explained this process to anyone before, but, but um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, I don't know, you just, you just, you learn over time. You just become really familiar. Like I can, I can smell a roast and tell you at what point in the roast that we're at, we're at what stage of the roast we're at. Um, and so it starts to smell, you know, really pretty earthy in the beginning. And then it starts to smell more bread, like, 
and then it starts to sell, smell a little bit more cake-like, and then it starts to smell really kind of, mm. um, kind of almost. This isn't going to sound appealing at all, but kind of almost pungent and kind of um, kind of stings uh, your the, the nostrils mm-hmm. uh, a little bit as you you smell it. Stings <laughs> I was I was waiting for that, <laughs> but it does. Like it really uh, it really does. <laughs> and so you know, as I as I'm teaching my son how how to, I was so waiting for that. Um, as I, you got to make a Sex Panther special. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um. As, I, as I've taught my son how to roast, you know, I'm just telling him, like, you know, it's going to smell like bread, and then it's going to smell a little bit more cake-like, and then it's going to start to to burn your nose when you smell it, and you know that you're getting close at that point to first crack, and that's where hearing comes in. So as the bean heats up and expands, mm. it actually makes an audible crack, cracking sound. And so oh. um, that occurs depending on uh depending on the level of roast that you're going for that that you'll you'll hit first crack and then you might hit second crack um i don't generally take my beans to second crack because um i want a more medium to medium dark roast but you know you're listening for that and so you develop those those three senses over time and you just really they they almost become instinctive and you just you just learn to rely on them See, this is really powerful for me to hear because as I've been making these, as I've been making these pour over cups and getting into the ritual and, and, and trying to work on my own palate, I know that I'm not just buying some store-bought kind of mass-produced coffee. Like there's an actual man that I know on the other end of this bag and you know who who's roasted this by hand and spent 14 years learning to do it and you know receives all the stuff like it's all done it's all done by a human being versus the feeling of like here's this mass roasting organization where it's all very impersonal right and look i I get scale is a thing so I, i don't mean to take anything away from people who have become successful in their roasting but what's cool for me is to be drinking this coffee and to know that it's 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 an expression of you, like this is there's a there's a person on the other end of this, not a faceless not a faceless corporation, not a faceless not a faceless dehumanized process. There's an actual person. So this this inviting me into the actual roasting process is is actually really improving already the experience of drinking the coffee. And this is why this matters. Mm-hmm. This is why you support people who pour their heart and soul and passion into creating things because you're not just buying you're not just buying a product you're 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 giving something to a person you're experiencing someone's creativity there's something very human about this that I think we've lost sight of yeah yeah i think i mean that's that's and that's an encouragement to hear because that's you know the thing that we say with our coffee is that we want we want to reform your coffee experience like in in you know, that takes some explanation sometimes for people because you think, oh, again, like coffee is coffee. Like I just need to have it in the morning. And when instead, like it can, it can be this thing that you can, you can really enjoy. You can delight in the process. You can delight in um, a better cup, a better quality of coffee. And, and, but then also to be able to, um, to, to, to be included as a part of that process and like teaching people um, to, 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 
get better coffee, you know, to enjoy how to enjoy better coffee. And so I, you know, I get asked questions all the time in terms of like equipment and brewing methods and, and all of those things. And I, I love answering those questions because I, I want people to be able to, to have a better coffee experience, to enjoy it more. And, and also, yeah, to, to be able to be seen as part of that process that, um, I mean, ultimately like that's, I don't, I don't need, I don't need that, that form of, of validation from people of just like, Oh, this is the guy that does it and he does a great job. But, um, to, to yeah, to be able to, to be included along the way so that people can see that like this really is, um, this really is a labor of love. This is really something that I, I do enjoy doing and I do want people to be able to enjoy as silly as it might sound to some people. Like I want to, I want to be able to bless people, um, with better coffee, you know, and, and then as the business grows, I want to be able to bless people in other ways. And so, um, even in the way that I just interact and the way we do customer service and the way that we try to operate with integrity, like all of that to me is just, is I see it as just a, a means to, to, to bless other people and to be, to be able to push back against all of the other, you know, pagan nonsense out there. And so, yeah, it isn't just put the beans in the bag, ship the ship them out and you get it and you make your coffee and that's mm-hmm. it. No, it's much more than that for us. Well, because you get to invite your family into it. You're talking about your son. I've seen photos on, maybe it was the Reformation Coffee Instagram or maybe it was your Instagram where it's like, you know, you're bagging up the beans. It looks like the, it looks like the family, the family kitchen table. Like it's a, it's a family, it's a family yeah. affair. Right? Like that matters. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You know, it's, it's all hands on deck with the family. Um, and, you know, everybody gets to, to be a part of that process, teaching my son how to roast teaching our daughter how to do a lot of the administrative stuff and shipping. And, you know, cause, cause my wife is, she's, she's the, I guess for all intent and purposes, she's the, she's the business manager. She's the one that, that handles all of the, the admin stuff. And um, I roast the coffee and I interact with people and I answer questions. And, and so, yeah, being able to, to, to share and, and teach those things with our kids and getting them involved in the process. Cause it's going to be theirs one day. Um, you know, I, I can't do this forever and don't want to do it forever. I want to do it for a long time, but you know, um, I want to give it to them and I want them to, to carry it on and, and to continue to build it. As I mean, that's everything that we're talking about. And that's, that's the home-based business model that was the world up until basically yesterday, right? The household that the, the dad wasn't going off to work at a corporation or a factory. Even he ran something out of the home, blacksmithing, tailoring, you know, or he was a farmer or a shepherd or something like that. And, and the whole family was involved as a team in, in productivity. And when, when uh, there was actually, uh, I've talked about this before, I think, in the UK, there was something called the Enclosure Act, where I think the crown just seized all of the land. So this is ours now, and all the men are going to work in the factories because the Industrial Revolution happened in, in, uh, in Europe first. And that's where all the labor force came from. They had to force men off of the family farms and into the factories. And I don't know that they had to do quite the same. In the, they didn't do quite the same in the United States, but that was a really profound dislocation 
that I don't know that we really understand fully. This idea that we just take it for granted that dad gets up in the morning and he goes to work at whatever time and he's gone for the day and then he comes home at night and then that's family time. It's like, it did not used to be that way, right? We didn't have that dislocation. And so now that's what I'm always encouraging men to find their way back to. There's a great book, Durable Trades by Rory Groves. And I got the chance to, yep. And I got the chance to meet him a couple of weeks ago at the Fatherhood Intensive. And there's like 60 professions where he evaluates them based on, can you actually have a workable family life doing this profession? And some are stronger than others. But I think that's what a lot of men are looking for is how do I find my way back to a profession, a job, a passion that I can invite my family into? And I think Christian men are looking especially for that. Yeah. And I think we ought to. I mean, I think that, that there's something that we have lost uh, within, within Christianity, you know, certainly in, in the West where, you know, one of the things I said that I want to build within this business is generational wealth. Like I'm not seeking to just become exponentially wealthy just for the sake of it. Like I, I want, um, I, I want to, for my children to have a literal inheritance. And so like, that isn't just like, Oh, I'm going to leave, you know, X amount of dollars, um, in the will for you. Like, no, I, I want you to, to take, which is what we saw in, in the past. Like the thing that they inherited was the thing that they were building together and the thing that they could continue on in. And so that's why by trade, oftentimes, you know, generationally you had, you know, you had a, a son and a father and a grandfather and a great grandfather. They were all tailors. They were all blacksmiths. They were all cobblers. They were all, you know, and they were good at that thing. And, and, and they served their community in that way. And I think, I don't think I, I'm confident we have lost that. And I think that that's something that we need to recapture um, because there's just, there, there, there's so much to be had in that type of a, of a lifestyle where, like you said, like I'm, I'm not leaving the house to go, you know, punch a clock and, and be away from my family and then come home and then just expect, you know, dinner to be ready. And then you, you know, spend an hour or two with the kids and then off to bed and, you know, you just, you just repeat the next day. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I desperately want us to, to get our hands back on that model. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to do it. I'm encouraging as many other people as I can um, to, to do that. You know, I was at, uh, I was at a, a men's intensive just a couple of weeks ago and, and I spoke there and that was really one of the things that, that I, I pressed in on a lot of guys, you know, probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 men there and just saying like the need for us to, to have a community, a, a Christian community that built this seeking to build uh, lasting Christian institutions uh, that are, are, are pushing back against all the woke madness and, and that are providing good God honoring alternatives to people and that are seeking to build generational wealth and leaving a lasting inheritance to families. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I believe in that with all my heart. I think it's vital. I think it's vital. I mean, I, I, I know it's something I'm thinking about for myself. You know, what can I really, um, what can I really disciple my sons in? What skills can I develop? You know, that I, you know, should I be blessed to have sons and, and, and should I be blessed to have children at all someday? But to say, you know, what do I, what am I really going to be passing, passing down 
to them? What am I going to be inviting them into? What are they going to be watching me do? Right. Because, um, because when I was growing up, you know, my dad was a, he still, he still is, he's a, he was a, a commercial real estate attorney and, you know, he was building a, he was building a, a practice. This would have been in the late eighties and early nineties in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, when I was growing up here in Phoenix, it was, um, this, the, the city was about a million people. It's now like 5 million people, four or 5 million people. It's the fastest growing city in the United States. So at the time, it's very difficult to build a commercial real estate business back in the 80s, 90s. Now, you know, with an extra 40 or so years of experience, you know, he's doing quite well. You know, he set himself up well at the time. But I wouldn't have been able to say as a young boy, 10, 12 years old, that like being a commercial real estate attorney was something I was super interested yeah. in. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, even, even though he does joke around with me now, like, well, you, you have a law. He has more work than he can handle. He's like, do you have a law degree handle, hiding anywhere? I'm like, no, dad, you got, you got any time to record a podcast? It's like, no. Okay. But there is something, there is something in, in that, like we joke around yeah. about it, but there is something in that about wanting, wanting to be invited into the world of the father, but like commercial, commercial, the ins and outs of commercial real estate law, not where I was at when I was 10. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I get it. But I think, but I think, uh, sorry, just, just the, the thought there was, the, the thought that was uh, that that I didn't finish all the way through because it got stuck in my own head was that um, what you're talking about in the, the 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 sense experience of it, like you're you're looking at the beans and you're listening for them, right? And you can and you can smell them, and there's a weight and a and a, probably a texture component to them as well when they come out of the bag. As you're like, it's something much more than just like head knowledge. Like it's not brain in a box stuff. It's not information work. You're actually not, when you're working with your hands, you're working with much more than your hands. I'm sure if there are any carpenters listening, there's probably, they would probably tell, they'd probably tell both of us, or maybe, you know, like there's probably much more to carpentry than just working with your hands. It's like a full sensory kind of thing that you can invite a child to participate in, a young boy to participate in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, man, what a, what a, what a privilege that we should see, we should consider it such a great honor and a privilege, certainly as men, as fathers, uh, to, to be able to, to, to bring our, our sons, our children along in that process to teach and train them to, to be able to do these same things. And, and you know, yeah, it, it's much more than just um, just working with your hands and, you know, do step A and then step B and step C until you, you, you know, you get to, you know, whatever outcome, however far down the line you get to, to, you know, to get, to, to get to the product that you want. No, it's, it's, it's a process. It's, 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 it's kind of a, um, a full immersion in, into understanding. Cause, cause you, you, you can, you can create so, like, you can create, like we have, we have like, uh, you know, standard operating procedure for our, for our, our kids and for ourselves so that we know, like, we want to do this, we want to do the business this way. Like we want to like, here, here's, here's how you roast coffee. Like, so initially, um, of course I do all this hands-on teaching with, with my son in terms of roasting coffee, but then I have the list so that he can, he can see like, oh yeah, step three is this, this is what I'm doing. Like this is where I'm at in the process. And so it's good for him to have that, but ultimately he's going to get to the place where, and I want him to get to the place where like he doesn't need that list anymore. 
Like he, he's just, he's understood the process. He's involved in it. And like that, that, that has just come through involvement and, and being included and being taught. And like, so something that, that I hope will be invaluable to him as I hand this, this business, when the day comes that I hand this business over to him. Um, and then also, I think the thing that I hope sets us apart from so many other coffee businesses out there that are just, you know, just insert beans, set the timer, you know, cool them, put them in a bag, ship them. Like it's, it's more than that for us. And I want people, I, I hope that people can, can get a sense of that and, and see the value in that and, you know, if like, well, I don't suspect we'll ever become a Starbucks, nor is that in my dreams that we will be. But, you know, I want us to, to continue to continue to grow and expand. And um, and in that process, I never, ever want us to lose that value that we have for um, doing our best and providing a great alternative for people to be able to have and enjoy. And so, yeah, man, it's just like there's. Right. Even like even now, as I'm thinking about it, it feels like there's like, you know, there's 15 different pieces that are a part of this that are just kind of floating around. And and it's hard to reach up and and try to grab a hold of all of them and then properly articulate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it because there's so much wrapped into this. Right. As as men, particularly Christian men, men with stories, men with histories, men with backgrounds you know, are trying to find their way forward in this new, in this new world towards something that is written on their hearts. It's like, it's, it's part of us. This is how we were made. Our designer made us. So we're, we're over years of sediment has accumulated as a result of poor discipleship and, and teaching and all that stuff. So we're clearing all this away and we're finding all these things that are true that were built into us from the beginning. How do we begin built, bringing them out? And so that the conversation that, that we're having and that so many men are having is like, how does that show up in my marriage? How does that show up in my parenting? How does that show up in my church? How does that show up in my brothers? How does it show up in my creativity? How does it show up in my work? It's like, and, and none of these things are separate. You know, when you, when you, when you redo what you do professionally and you, and you transition away from corporate life to, to a small business life and you invite your family in, it changes everything about you. It even goes all the way out back to the fitness conversation. Because you recognize that the, the life of picking up 50-pound bags of coffee and dumping them into a roaster is much more physical than I've got to go meet with Bob in the conference room for 45 minutes, right? So your strength needs to be up. And then plus, maybe you're working longer hours and you need your senses, you know, you need your senses sharper because you're not under fluorescent lights anymore. And then you're thinking about, what am I eating? Am I getting outside? Like, okay, making sure to get enough rest. All these things are happening all at the same time time and like and 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 in your own way you're on the leading edge of of all of them yeah, and as a yeah, pastor you're you know, leading um, other men through it so yeah there's a, there's a little almost bit as it, though they're you know they're they aren't we aren't meant to you know separate boxes it's like oh there's work and then you know it, it's all in it's all in the same box or the same pile and you know who you are in my case in our case you know who, who we are as men uh, means a great deal in in dealing with all of those things. That, that, that there's so much overlapping and blending of those things in together because you know, you're, you're still the same guy operating in those different roles, wearing those different hats. And so, again, you know, I will continually point it back to 
seeking to be a man uh, that that honors the Lord, that grows in holiness, makes much of the name of Christ, and so that affects again that that that, that affects greatly how I I lead as a uh, a husband and as a father and as a pastor and as a coffee roaster and as a businessman and as a friends so forth and so on. Okay, so so here I'm I'm a little torn because I want to I want to talk about two different things at the same time. So we get to pick which one we talk about first. I want to hear about you know your recommendations for doing a pour over cup because so I've got a few techniques that I've picked up from YouTube and from messing around a little bit. I've learned you know what I think works better and what what doesn't uh, what doesn't work so well. But I also want to talk about um, I want to tie all this back into biblical patriarchy. Because I, th- I think what we're what we've been talking about in the, the sum totals like is really what it looks like in kind of a nascent form as we're recreating it in 2023. So maybe we'll maybe we'll start with pour over and then we'll then because you had also mentioned that um, that there were people at the church, uh, men and women, who were kind of struggling with that idea and the way that in my experience you get people to kind of soften around this word patriarchy or their fears of it is you kind of demonstrate that it's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually benevolent and in many ways like not i don't know that benign is the right word but the benevolence of it so maybe we'll talk about pour over techniques first and then we'll bring it back to more a more theological dominion oriented conversation okay yeah so so what do you want to know specifically about pour overs well i mean if you have any because i'll walk you through my process like i've I've been i do like about 21 grams or so 20 21 grams of of beans I grind it down. I'm not a huge fan of the grind, the the, OX, the OXO grinder that I got. Not a huge fan of it. Um, but then, but then I put it in the. I, I take the boiling water from the gooseneck kettle, which is on the coffee setting, and then I, I rinse the paper filter, which everyone says you should do. And I swirl it around inside the little carafe, which I got to warm up the carafe. And then I put the beans in. And I do like a little. Uh, I do like a little divot in the middle, which someone said to do, and that seems to be fun. And then I do like a 50 gram pour and let it bloom, let the gases bubble off. And then I do a hundred grams and let it drain down a little bit. And then I do the last 200 or so grams and then, uh, and let it go into the pot and let it kind of drain out over the course of about three minutes or so. I've kind of got it to that level, three minutes, three fifteen, And then I, and then I drink it. So, um, I, I don't know. It seems to me that the the swirling around the 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 water in the carafe makes a difference. The grind size, getting the grind size right, was huge. It was too big, and everyone's, so the, the websites I saw said do medium. Medium was too big, and then so I went down to like medium fine, and that seems to get a little bit better. But that's about all I've got. I've noticed differences in in the in the beans um, in the grind between when I do like a reformation coffee grind, the beans, the, the grind seems to be, I would almost call it stickier, but I don't know that's the right word versus like, I've got stump town and fast forward that I've been messing around with. I started with those and those are larger specialty, but larger brands. Those yeah. seem to be, you know, a, the, the perform it's a little difference in the grinder and so I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of feeling my way through, but I enjoy the coffee that I'm drinking now. Yeah, good. Um, that's the most important thing. And also, I would say, like your, I mean, your your approach, your method is is a pretty decent one. I think. I mean, you've got you're hitting um, some some good metrics in terms of uh, 
uh, volume of coffee and water and, and you can, you know, do other little tweaks here and there in terms of temperature of water, but, um, I don't really mess around. I don't fudge those too much that often. Um, and even just like volume of water for, for, um, uh, for, you know, first pour to get, to hit bloom and, and all of those are, are just good things that it sounds like you're doing them right. And you can always make little tweaks here and there. And, and certainly I would say, um, the little things like, like watering the filter, um, those are generally, um, pretty small in terms of difference, but the bigger, more important things are going to be, uh, your grind, uh, that's going to be hugely important in a, in a pour over really any, any brewing method. And it's, then it's going to be a different grind for, for all sorts of brewing methods. And so like, you know, the grind for a pour over, um, for, well, even really, I was going to say like a pour over and a French press is going to be hugely different, but even, yeah. even the difference in the grind between like a pour over for like the, for a, like a V60 versus a Chemex, like those are going to be different. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Just because the, the, the funnel and the filter are, are both different. And so, uh, so you adjust the grind setting. Um, and there's apps out there that, that, um, that help with that. I'll try to think of what some of those are and maybe give them to you so that you can, you can have them for later or, or, or plug them into some show notes or something. Cause I, I can't think of them right now, but, um, smartphone apps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That have, that have, uh, like timers and we'll go step by step as the timer goes down. Like it'll, it'll move from, from, you know, step two, which is rinse the filter to step, um, you know, step three, add the coffee and then, you know, pour the water over the coffee. And so they like goes through the steps with wow. you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to think about what some of those are. I can't remember right now, but, um, but yeah. And, you know, then it's just really kind of fine tuning it to, to what suits you best. And so that's why I always encourage people as, as, uh, as silly as it might sound to some folks, it's like, just, just write down notes. Um, you know, write down, I, you know, I did, I did 22 grams of coffee. I, I put it on this grind setting on my grinder. That's like specific to your grinder so that, you know, so like if it's a seven or yeah. if it's, you know, if it's, you know, this many lines over, if it's the fourth, you know, notch over, whatever it is, like write that down, write down how much water you used and, and all of those things. And then when you taste it, you're like, Hmm, I, you know, I like this. I'm going to write this down. I like this about it. And so you just take notes like that. And then when you come back to it the second time, and maybe you do it exactly the same way or close to the same way, but you get a different outcome, and you know, then you figure out why, or you intentionally do it a different way, and you're like, oh, I like, I like this more, or I like this less, and you can begin to kind of really fine-tune it uh, to what you like, what your preference is. Because like I said earlier, it's like ultimately that's what it comes down to. Like The best coffee is the coffee that you like that's in your mug. So, uh, so aim for that. Um, and, um, something else I was going to touch on. I don't remember. Oh yeah. The difference in, in grind between like my coffee and somebody else's, um, man, it could, it could be something, uh, as simple as the origin. It's most likely, uh, when you say sticky, it's, 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 um, 
sticky or staticky is, is what it is. And so um, there's probably like you get coffee elsewhere. It's probably had time to, and it's probably had sufficient time to off gas and like, like the, so it, it gas mm. gases off the CO2. And so um, because we want people's coffee to be really as fresh as it can be, we we will roast it and then let it rest for a day and then we ship it out and so um, and, you know we ship it out whole bean and so when you get it and people have asked me this just like man your coffee blooms so much higher than other coffee yeah. that I'm used to and like yeah it's because it's 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 off gassing it hasn't had a chance to you know that's why that's why the valve is on the bag of coffee is so the bag doesn't explode oh. because it's, it's, it's <laughs> off gassing inside the bag. And so that's what the valve on the bag is for, so that the bag doesn't pop. And so ours just hasn't had a chance to to do that as long by the time it gets to you. And so it's it's off gassing as it blooms, and you know it's something that that we generally prefer. But um, you know, it if you're not careful, like you know, if, if you put it in an automatic drip machine or something like that, you know, then, then you might, you know, and you, you overfill it, then you might have a mess on your hands. So, <laughs> you know, there are some drawbacks to it, but that doesn't generally happen with a pour over or, or French press or AeroPress, you know, all the other kind of methods. That makes a lot of sense because I, because I'm observing all these different things. Like for example, I started with the, the stump town and then, and then I, I practice on that uh, for a few days and then I, and then I opened up the Guatemala and then the India to the two bags of yours that I have right now. And I, I immediately noticed a difference in the grinding and, and, uh, you know, the, the stump town and the fast forward, you know, it would pour out of the little cup from the burr grinder it'd pour easier into the filter. But like with, with your beans, I had to tap the filter and get them to come out and stuff like that. And so I was like, and I saw it in both bags. I'm like, okay, what am I looking at here? Okay. Staticky. And then I, 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 I didn't want to like insult you. Like, I don't know. I hope, hopefully this isn't a bad thing to observe. I don't know. No. But I'm glad to hear that's the case. And then when I pour the hot water in, I've definitely noticed the bloom, the little, little, little bun, the little cake is, is much fuller. And I knew about the off gassing. I knew that that's why you do that initial pour is to let the, let the gases come off before you. And so I definitely observed all of those things happening. And I wasn't sure to, to attribute it to, except for the best answer that I have was like, well, he's roasting it really fresh and shipping it out really fresh. And I don't know how long this stump town and, and, uh, and uh, oh, uh, is it counter? It's counterculture, not fast forward. Fast forward is the roast. Counterculture is the, is the company. Um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not been, who knows how long it's been sitting at, at Whole Foods or whatever. So I, I assume that that was probably the case, that it's because it arrives so fresh and because it's roasted by an individual human being and not by a machine or who knows, right? Because I know Stumptown is quite big as far as specialty coffee roasters go, um, that all those probably accounted for the difference in, in, the ex- in my experience brewing the cups. Yeah, I mean, you, you just take into consideration, you know, th- th- they roast the coffee and, and, you know, maybe they let it rest and then, you know, they package it and they ship it out to whoever the retailer is. You know, however long it takes to get there, however long it sets in the back, however long it sets on the shelf, 
whereas you know we we roast within two days of your order and and you know ship it within three so mm-hmm. you're, you're getting it really fresh and so that's probably the biggest difference that you're seeing or, or the biggest reason why in the difference that you're seeing i guess i should say i mean it makes a difference to me yeah i mean it makes a difference to me again like the the story that we've been articulating through the conversation is like here's an individual man here's your life story here's the here's how you're born, how you grew up and 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 the and the journey that you went on, and then here's family and here's again pastoring and and here's all the values that we're talking about expressed within a product that you make by hand and that you're passing along to your sons to your family like it's a real it's a real thing <laughs> I don't quite know how to articulate it but like but but in in drinking the coffee. I'm invited into an experience. And I think in, in, in this age, a lot of people talk about authenticity when it comes to brands, like, oh, they're, they're really authentic, right? That seems to be a popular word. But it, that, that word almost doesn't apply here because it's something so much greater than just authenticity. This is, this is a man's story and livelihood and, and, and passion and family and future and values in this bag of coffee that I get to then have an experience of brewing and drinking. That's why, that's why I've been excited. That's why that's one of the reasons why I did Will Reforms as coffee and why I did it the way that I did, because I wanted to be able to have this conversation with you at the end of the journey. Like obviously the journey is just beginning for me as I learn how to do all these things, but because I, I feel very grateful to get to participate in that with you. So thank you. Yeah. I mean that I I'm, I'm honored to hear that. I love that. You know, it's, I don't, I, I wish that, you know, I wish I could somehow like kind of encapsulate all of that and put it on the back of the bag so that, <laughs> that everybody else can hear and, and sense that, and, you know, like that it's, it's, it's difficult at times to really communicate all of that to people when you know, I just like, I just, I just want good coffee and, and that's fine too. Like I'm happy to just provide people with good coffee. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear all of that. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I want it to be. That's, you know, it's, it's not simply just this side hustle that I have that I'm trying to supplement my income with, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to build something that, that has immense value for me that I can do really well under the glory of God, that, that I can, be a blessing to others and provide them with something that they can enjoy and delight in. Because I think that's something again, for us as Christians that we have that sets us apart. Like a a person who isn't a Christian can sit down and enjoy a nice cup of coffee. And I mean, like they can really geek out over it and um, all the things that, that, that I've touched on or alluded to in terms of like, you know, body profile, like taking notes, doing cuppings and doing all these different brewing methods and they can really enjoy it but that's as far as it goes they don't get to they don't get to enjoy it beyond that whereas like for us as a christian as silly as it may sound to some people you can enjoy like if if you enjoy coffee the way that i do then i can taste it uh, you know take a swig of, of it from my mug and i can really geek out and enjoy it and but then like i don't have to stop there i can turn that upwards and like man god you you created this thing for us to enjoy and to delight in. And you knew exactly what you were doing 
and you're such a master at what you do. And so like we can turn that simple enjoyment, that simple grace, and we like we can we can turn that upwards into adoration and affection and praise unto the Lord. And so like it isn't for me, like all of that to say, like for me, it isn't just coffee. It's so much more than that. And 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 it's also all of the other things that we've talked about in terms of including my family along the way and, and planning on and you know, handing it over to my kids. And, and so, so yeah, all of that to say, man, um, thank you. I'm glad to hear that from you. I'm glad that, that, um, I, I can serve you in that way and, and lend to a, a, hopefully a greater level of enjoyment as you drink the coffee that I roast. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking about like, uh, making cups for other people. Cause now I know how to do it. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and really I have you to thank because you know, without, without Reformation Coffee, you know, um, uh, A, sponsoring the podcast, but that wasn't the primary impetus behind it. It was like, I had, I, and I really do mean this, like I had the Guatemala roast and I'm like, there's something about this, about this coffee based on after all the coffee I've ever tried. And I've been to South America, I've been to Peru, I've been to Colombia. Like after all the coffee I've had, there's something about this that really connects with me. And I want to understand it better. And I knew that the way I was brewing it wasn't going to, wasn't going to lead me to that, you know? Um, and so, and so it was really wanting to appreciate this that really led me into this journey. And now, you know, with just a, with just a few hours of, of time, like I haven't invested, invested 14 years, but you know, I've probably put in 10, 20 hours, something like that between watching videos and brewing. Well, that's probably too many. That's probably too much, but let's say, let's say, but let's say five hours. Like if you add in the brewing time and the watching and the, and the, and, 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 and all that, but that's still enough to be like, could brew someone a, a, a pretty decent cup of coffee right now, I think, right? And so I get to share. I get to share that. So, so um, again, we we're talking about brotherhood and all that. Like that's what this looks like: is the the things that we have we share with each other to lift each other up in in uh, in, in unexpected and creative ways. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, and and yeah, and, and want and enjoy the same same types of of things. And, you know, I, I think that we, we ought to seek to enjoy things to, to that degree and to share that with others. And, you know, because man, what, what a, a means to be able to, to connect with other people, you know, you, you certainly, you know, anybody that hears this would be able to, to, to understand that, uh, the, the, the way that you can be brought together by, you know, a good meal or, you know, uh, you know, a good cup of coffee or, uh, you know, a good glass of wine or, or whatever, you know, it happens to be your thing. It just, it has this, this, uh, really unique ability to be able to just really help people connect. And, you know, so again, like just something as simple as, as me seeking to create a really good product and coffee and for you to be able to enjoy and, and for it to be more than just coffee in a cup is a great thing to be able to do. And, and it's, it's a great thing to be able to hear. Um, that other people, you know, can see that and, and appreciate it. Yeah, when we did a men's retreat, I think I, I don't remember where I posted about this. Maybe it was on Instagram, or maybe it was on Twitter. Um, I did a men's retreat here in Phoenix at the start of April, and uh, got four bags of Reformation coffee. And I think there were there were nine guys, and nine guys went through three and a half bags of coffee in seventy two or so hours. 
we were drinking pretty consistently drinking a lot of the coffee and it was really nice to be able to share that you know to be able to to be able to share that with the guys like hey the, here's the story here's what's going on here's this play how this plays into my life i didn't just we didn't just pick up coffee at costco or whatever it's like no here's here's a part of my own story because you know like your craftsmanship is a part of my craftsmanship. Like I don't make coffee, I make podcasts, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into this. Actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> actually about 14 or 15 years worth. Like the reason why my podcasts work the way that they do is that I know how to use audio production software. I know about microphones, I know about plugins, and and I'm getting better all the time at these at these techniques. So actually now that I think about it, it's kind of cool that you know we get to be that the way that these these different passion projects passion projects not really the word but i think I, I think you know what i mean the way that these kind of things interact and this is this is what it means to be men to craft things that we then bless each other with yeah yep exactly right i couldn't say it any better than that well let's let's tie this back now, now into uh into the subject that's that's floating around about uh, about a biblical patriarchy because it seems to me that work is a pretty essential component of that, that you can paint the, the theological picture, you can paint the moral picture, you can paint the sociocultural picture, but how, like, how are you manifesting it as a man with how you spend 8 to 10 to 12 hours of your day doing righteous work, and how does that play into leading a family, leading a household, and being a leader in your community? Yeah, it is... I would say probably first and foremost is, is that it's understanding the the need for being able to to do the thing to put in the hard work and and to uh, not make excuses about doing those things like you know when we could say that like oh you know we're seeking to build Christendom and if we're if we're going to build Christendom then and that takes a lot of work to build things, and so you have to you have to work, and uh, you you can't shy away from that. And you, I mean, certainly there's there's countless other topics of discussion that we could include in that in terms of just like taking responsibility and not making excuses and owning up to your own mistakes and and just being able to uh, you know to to get in and to work hard. And so it it is being able to see the need for the thing, whatever it is for you. And so for me. You know, it's, 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 it's leading, uh, it's leading my wife and my kids and then my church and my work uh, with Reformation Coffee. And then I also work as a, as a general contractor. And so I'm, 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 I'm doing that as well. And so uh, I can't be afraid to, um, to, to see the, the task that's in front of me and, and as big or as small as it seems to be, like I just, I, you know, if in my, in my case, we'll just say like, it's, there's just a lot to do. And so I could, you know, I could pass that off to someone else or I could just say, Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Or, um, oftentimes I find myself uh, thinking like, I just, you know, it's just, I got to do the next thing. What, you know, what's the next thing that I have to do? And, 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 stay on task and be willing to work hard and diligently. And then ultimately I'm, I'm doing all of this work. It isn't just work. I'm doing all of this work under the glory of, of God. And so I'm, I'm seeking to build up my home for the glory of God and the church and the business and, and so many other things. So um, 
I guess all of that to say, like, you have to, as a man, you have to be able to see, you have to be able to see the, the, what's required of you and, and not shy away from that, not be afraid to work hard, not be able, not be afraid to, to, to take on, um, you know, ownership and responsibility. Um, because, you know, I mean, far too often that's, that's exactly what we see in, in, in culture is that, you know, nobody, nobody wants to work hard. Nobody wants to take responsibility. And so it isn't just as simple as like, oh, I need to have a, a really strong work ethic. That's great. I mean, I think, I think we need to recapture that. And, and as fathers, we need to teach that to our sons. But, but why? Why do we need to have a really strong work ethic? Why do we need to be able to work hard and, and to be able to build things and to be able to have success? Well, it's because we, we want to, to honor the Lord in the work that we do. We want to, to be of productive use. In, in the skills and the, the the abilities that he's given us. And so for me, it's, you know, it's, it's renovating houses and it's roasting coffee and it's writing sermons and doing discipleship and meeting with people and counseling and all of those things. And so like, you know, I just, as a man, as a, you know, who, who, who believes in biblical patriarchy, who believes that my role is to do, to carry these things out. Like I, I just, I can't be afraid to to work hard and get tired, and um, and then ultimately to see that this is the task that, that the Lord has given me to do. And so, rather than see, seeing it simply as as just a task or um, a thing, a box to check, it's a great honor to be able to do these things and to be able to do them well and to be able to do them under the glory of God, because. I think that he's then going to take that and do something even greater with it. Like he's, you know, he's, he's given me the ability to build things that, that he's then going to take and, and build even more with. Mm. And so, yeah, I think just recapturing all of that, this desire to, 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 to see your role and responsibility as a man and to not shy away from it, to, to lean into it, to run towards it, to, to work until you're tired and, you know, and then come home hopefully to a, a wife who has, has been managing your home and, and has, has prepared you a, a good meal and, and you can have kids who are running around Know, shouting and playing and filling your house up with joy and you can delight in those things under the glory of God and you get up and do it again tomorrow. And then you get to see the end the end product of everything that you've invested your your life energy into, you know, grow and blossom over time from a small hobby or a small church or a small family, right? A small community. And you get to see you know, God grants the increase, but put in the hard you put in the hard work, and results tend to they tend to show up. Yeah, and I mean, I just it's why again, like having a proper theology applied to all of life. It's why it's it's such a necessary tool for us to have as Christians. That you know, because otherwise, like, what would be the point? Like, what? Like, we're just 
we're just working until we die. And, you know, and then, and then like, that's what we see in culture is everybody just gathers up all of this stuff, all of these things. Like I got the boat and I got the camper and I got all the things I'm taking all, all these trips and I've got the vacation home and the cabin or whatever is because we're seeking to like fill this void in our life because it's otherwise it seems meaningless that we just, we work and we eat and, and we sleep and we die. Uh, but, but we, you know, we, we who are in Christ know that, oh man, it's such a, there's such a bigger, grander picture than that, that, that we are, we are building into something uh, that is, is much larger than, than just ourselves. And, you know, men need to be able to see the, the, the honor and the responsibility that we have to be able to, to work into that well unto the, the glory of God. And, and so like it changes, it's just like I said, with like with holding to a post-mill eschatology changes what I do from day to day. Like it's the same thing. It's just like, I'm, I'm building into things because I see that, that, you know, there is so much more that's going to come, you know, when I'm dead and gone. And like, I want, I want to be able to build into that and contribute to that now. And that takes work. That takes not being afraid to work. And I mean, literally work and labor and, and get tired. I heard a while ago, a great saying that sticks with me that it's only effort when it begins to hurt. And I really, uh, I take that, I take that to heart that, um, that that point when, when the pain is, you know, obviously not crippling pain, obviously not, you know, truly harming yourself pain, but there's a point at which I've observed that the little bit of extra effort that really feels, we'll say, quote unquote, painful or difficult or challenging, it's that little bit or a lot of extra effort that really makes, that really makes the difference over and over and over again. Like that's what sets aside, sets aside from whatever I do from other people doing something similar. Or whenever a man chooses, chooses excellence in whatever field or fields he chooses it in, to the love for it, the care for it. And, and I like what you said, the theology, like, no, this is what's asked of me is to put in that effort. It's not just about, I just do it because I do it. This is just what I do. It's like, no, it, it roots me down into the ground, you know, in, ter- in terms of generating prosperity for my family and up into the heavens in terms of what God commands me to do and who he commands me to be. Men like that, I think, are unstoppable. Yeah, I I think that's right. I think that we should think that way. Like what, you know, a a man who is is entirely seeking to be dependent upon the Lord to be able to accomplish the task that he's been given by the Lord and it's being done under the glory of the Lord, you know, and he's not, you know, he's striving for excellence in that. He's not afraid to work hard. Yeah, what what could possibly stop him? I mean, you know, I mean, it, it all it all plays out within God's providence. I mean, it's going to be exactly what He intends for it to be. But you know, that's just why, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take the black pill, man. I'm not gonna say like, oh, well, you know, like we'll we'll never get to this this level of 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 growth in the business, or we'll never have, you know, we'll ne- we'll never have this kind of positive uh, impact on on. On society will never be able to you know now let's just just be faithful work hard you know and 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 let god 
bring the increase and just just faithfully work hard for the Lord. Don't worry about the rest. If I, I, do you get the chance to disciple men in in these? Like, are are men putting these pieces together as you're as you're watching your community, you know, experience their own sanctification and regeneration in the ways that we're talking about? Are men showing up and, and asking you, like, Pastor Brandon, like, what do I do, what do I do for work now? It's like, or or like, how do I how do I begin applying myself to this? Surely you must yeah. see some of this. Yeah, we're having some of those conversations with some 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 guys in the church and, and in the community, and it's it's really it's been a process of of getting them to uh, kind of get their hands on the idea of, of you know some some guys are just like I you know I just I don't know I don't even know where to start I don't know what to do, um, and so then it's and it's, again that's something that I touched on at, at that men's intensive is just like what are the things that, that God has either given you a desire to do or he's given you a skill to do? And, and how can you turn that into, uh, how can you turn that into work? And, and how can you turn that into um, a, a service or a product that, that you can then put forth for others? And so even if it's in, in terms of, I don't know, you're a painter um, or a plumber, you know, um, you know, what, what does that look like for you to like, just to, to, to start moving towards understanding that this is a trade, but it's something that is necessary and it's something that you can, you be, you can learn and you can become better at and ultimately, you know, learn as much as you can and then move outside of, uh, of, um, you know, rather than working for someone, then, you know, you, you can, you can create your own business and, and then you can determine from there how you're going to serve and also bless people with this trade that you, this skill that, that you've been, um, that God has blessed you with. And so it's, it's really beginning to, it's starting with beginning to, to understand kind of the, just the, the idea of, of like moving beyond just like, just, just, it's just a vocation. Or you know the the job that that is um, is being used of the Lord and, and glorifies the Lord is you know being a pastor or being a missionary or being an evangelist or you know being you know whatever you know a, a, a seminary professor. But man, why can't you do that as 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 a plumber or a mechanic or whatever else? You know, I, I threw a tweet out. It's been weeks ago now, but I listed just all of these different trades, and I'm like, let's do these things to build into Christendom. Um, and, and so many people responded in in such a positive way of just like, you know, hopefully it kind of planted that 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 seed of of of, of you know thinking in people's mind of just like, you know, I I can build into Christendom, I can honor the Lord, I can I can do all of these things as a you know fill in the blank as an electrician or whatever. So yeah, all that in a really long answer to say, yes, I'm having those conversations with guys in the church. I mean, you can do them almost more easily. You can build into Christendom almost more easily in an environment like that. Oh yeah. I, I find that, well, I remember, you know, when I, when I worked office jobs, you know, it's, you know, managing designers and, and doing all the stuff I did inside large companies, like it's, it's information work, it's knowledge work. 
like you add value to some amount to a piece of knowledge and then you move it down the chain, right? And hopefully something that you added value to ends up finding expression in the public sphere. And uh, you could say, I got a little piece of that, but I can't identify what piece is actually me. Most people inside large corporations can't say that. Versus the, the nobility of saying, of, of noble work of saying like, no, I made that thing that I can now point to, or I helped that man get through something really significant. Or in your case, like I remodeled that home slash kitchen, living or whatever, right? To the ability to make something tangible and to, and to really offer it as a, to the glory of God. It's hard to offer a spreadsheet to the glory of God in the same way. You can, obviously you can, versus this bag of coffee right? Or this thing that I made, like it's very, it's a very different feeling to be separated from the end product of our work, which I think is a, is, is something that's very difficult for men and women today is that we spend our time, you know, people who work in knowledge work, they spend their time and their energy and their life force energy to produce things that they can't put their hands on. And it just kind of goes away in an email, right? It's like, it's gone. Versus Hey, yeah, no, I, I made that. You know, even if you only say it to yourself, like I, I made that, I built that, I roasted that, you know, I crafted that. These things, they're profoundly human, and we, and I think we really we need them. We're missing them. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I agree 100. percent I think that I think we are missing them. I think we do need them. I think we need to recapture those things, and and you know, things that, um. I mean, it's almost as if like, it's just, it's, it's just getting back to a, a way that is, it's just more simple, not necessarily easier, but just, it's just more simple in terms yeah. of um, like, it, it, it's almost, uh, it, it's, it's almost like this, this experience that's tangible, that you, like you're involved in the process. Like if you could, you know, if, if, if you were, you know, I, I know a guy who, who's, you know, making, um, knives and, and, and axes and all kinds of crazy things and crazy, super good at it. And so like, you know, like to say that, that literally at times like his, like his blood and his sweat is involved in that, like that, like that there is, you know, I'm, I'm putting all of myself into this, this thing that is, it's hard to do. And, um, and there is there is a, a, a very specific outcome that I'm seeking to get. I'm not mass producing this thing. I'm making this thing for you, for your enjoyment, and for it to be just like you want it to be. And so I'm, I'm putting so much. So yeah, we we've lost that. that um, and I think that that's the thing. Like if you, if if I could get people to just kind of capture a certain spirit if you will of all of this of what i you know what i'm doing in terms of reformation coffee like that would be the thing is like i want you to to be able to the things that you even said yourself like i want you to be able to see how much is put into it it isn't just we're just we're just roasting coffee and shipping it out it's just you know, and, and that's why again our, our little tagline or motto or whatever is reform your coffee experience because we, we want you to see that there's there's so much more. It's, it's, it, it, it isn't just a product that we're seeking to provide. It's, it's, it's a product and a service and a relationship and, 
and, and enjoyment and because the thing is is like for us like our success it'll come from that like people who mm-hmm. it, it, it mostly won't be people are just like oh man this this coffee is great this is like you should just drink this coffee there'll be some of that but it's also going to be um man i like i know this guy i know you know um i i know what he's trying to do i know he's teaching his son i know that you know he's he's building in into to christendom he's pushing back against starbucks you know he's you know um all of those things that that, that is it's a it's a I don't know how I would say it. It's a more fully orbed experience in terms of it isn't just coffee in a bag. And so, um, and so, yeah, I think I just kind of riffing off of what you said. I think that, I think most people, most people want that, Mm -hmm. that just, I think that, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think that, I think what you're, what I, what, what you've, you and I have talked about also is that, you know, people, they want to participate in something. They want to participate in a vision. And, and, and so the thing, the thing for me with enjoying a coffee is like, yes, okay. It would be easy for me to say, I like Brandon. Brandon's a good guy. Let's build into Christendom. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bunch of coffee and, and cool because it, it's in alignment with my values. I could participate on that level, but instead I took it to the, to the next level, which is like, let me actually, do what I can to experience the this coffee in, in the way that uh, the way that you intend me to. So yes, I'm participating in your in, in in building the business to build into Christendom as an expression of my values. But now I'm participating in your creativity as well, learning how to. I wouldn't say that my palate is refined enough to you know to use some of the technical term, but I would like to get there. It's a practice thing. But, there, but I think what's cool about what you're doing is there's more to it than that. There's a larger vision for Reformation Coffee that you have. I wonder if you would mind sharing a little bit of that because I think that's really cool and, and really needed. I speak to it in some of the ads, but I'd, like to, I'd love to hear it from, from uh, the roaster's mouth, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've touched on it a, a good bit just in, in our conversation even here. But yeah, w- wanting to... Um, Wanting to be able to provide that experience for people, um, wanting wanting to be able uh, to 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 build something that provides a good God honoring alternative for people to to be able to enjoy and enter into and take part in. Um, you know, I, I've I've said at different times. I've said it. I said it in your uh, your first uh, digital conference that you had that you know we we want to be the Coffee company, coffee company of uh, of Christendom. Uh, like we like we want to be the company that people think of, not because we want all the success and 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 whatever else. Like I've already said, that we're like we're not. We'll probably never become anywhere. We'll never get anywhere close to Starbucks in terms of scale and and, and success and all sure. of that. And I don't want that. Like you know, I mean, if the Lord chooses to do that, then great. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. But um, <laughs> I never know. <laughs> I, I, I want to build the thing as big as the Lord uh, intends for us to build it, so that it can be a blessing to as many people as possible. So that it that I I do want to steal business from the Starbucks 
and the, the black rifles and, and all of the others. Like I am like, I'm not ashamed of that. I want, I think I, I want to steal Christian's business away from, uh, from, you know, all of the, the, the woke, um, conglomerates and all of the, you know, the big, um, big business out there that, you know, that that's just going to, um, it's going to glorify and promote all the things that God hates. So, you know, that's an aspect of it. And, you know, I, I want to be able to build a, a business that's big enough and successful enough that I, you know, certainly I'm trying to bless people with, with a good product and with good customer service, but I want to be able to bless my family and my church. And, and, you know, as, as we get big enough and we hire people on and um, we begin to include more people in this thing that is bigger than just coffee you know, in a bag for you. Um, th- th- you know, these are the goals. This is the vision um, in terms of building this business. Uh, you know that that that's the kind of success that that I'm after. That that ultimately is is being done unto the, the glory of God. And you know, if I hope and pray we get to a place where. Uh, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier on, but like, I, I want people to not associate Reformation Coffee with Brandon Lansdowne. I want, um, I want it to be much bigger than just me. And you know, I know that we're we're in a place right now where that's just that's an unavoidable reality that you know that, that so many people are associating me with the company, and that's fine. Um, cause that's, that's really kind of, that's in large part what it's built off of why, you know, how the decisions are made, but, you know, I, I, I want to, and all of this like translates into, for me, you know, building into Christendom and, um, working under the Lord, to honor the Lord, to bless others, to take back that which belongs to the Lord anyways. And, uh, yeah. And then just die and be forgotten. (laughs) This is all super relevant for me because, um, and thank you for sharing all this because I've been dealing with some similar questions, like just to, just to share a quick story. You know, when I started the Renaissance of men back in 2020, uh, almost all of my effort very quickly, though I was doing the podcast and a couple other things went into producing my documentary series. Like that was all of 2021 and a lot of 2022 was, was trying to get it funded because it ended up being much bigger than I expected. And so over the past year, you know, I've been working on that and just getting to a point where I've recognized a couple of different things. One is that um, the story of the Renaissance of men is still very much being written. Not again, not as a business, but as a narrative, as a historical narrative. I believe God is, very much working in humanity right now to redeem masculinity and femininity and families. I believe that without question that that's happening and I can see it. And that story is still very much being written. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, you know, if God wanted to drop, you know, the entire production budget on that documentary series right now, he could just fall out of the sky. Hasn't fallen out of the sky. So, but in the, in the meantime, um, what I've had to, I've have done a, b- a bunch of soul searching. Like, what am I doing with the Renaissance of Men, if not the documentary? Because again, all my all my effort has been focused on that. So now 
I'm, I'm shifting my thinking into exactly what we're talking about, which is building something that I can pass on to my kids, developing worthy skills and, and helping men instead of like the, the documentary project, my heart and soul and so much of my effort went into it. And that's just going to sit there and it's going to be its own thing for a minute until God sees fit to begin advancing it forward. So what am I going to be doing to be building the Renaissance of Men as a brand independent of that? And it's mentorship and podcasting and all this feeds into it. So I'm listening to you discuss you know, uh, the journey with Reformation Coffee and your vision. And I'm seeing a brother and a friend who's a couple steps ahead of where I am. And so this is very educational for me because these are just the questions that I'm starting to ask. Okay, like what, am, what skill am I going to develop that I can pass on to, to my kids? What is that going to be? I have some ideas. You know, what is the legacy that I'm going to have? What is the organization that I'm going to build? How am I going to make this into something that's bigger than me, um, that, that has its own life? How am I going to give birth to this? It's almost like giving birth to a child in a way. You want to see it stand up and start walking on its own and like, oh, look, there it goes. So, uh, which I know is something that you know something about. So it, it sounds like it sounds like we're talking about some very similar things from different ends of the process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's spot on. I think that that you know, for for men to be able to to see that and and to approach whatever it is they do, you know, I mean, we we are told, um, you know, in scripture that. You know, whatever we do, you know, whether we, whatever we eat or drink, um, you know, do it all under the glory of God. And so, you know, and, and you know, work at work as as under the Lord, and not not to man. And so, I think really, truly, under, like bringing it back to theology applied, like what does that mean? What does that look like? How you know? How does that lead us to a place that's different from what we've been doing for the last fifty years, fifty plus years? You know, because clearly we we need we need to do something different. We need to, to get back to something that, that, you know, that we, we previously did that was right and good. And, you know, I, I think that's the case. People could argue against that. Um, you know, they, you can make all of these, these arguments that you want. I mean, certainly technological advancements and things of the sort have been, have had their positives, but I mean, they've had their negatives as well. Their negative outworkings as well. And so, in terms of how we work and, and, and what we do in profession and trade. And so, yeah, I think, I think what you said is exactly right. Let's get, let's get back to asking those questions and figuring out how to do those things and then seeking to pass those on. And yeah, just again, trust God with the increase and, you know, just, just work to that end that I, like I, I refuse to accept that um, I don't even really know how I would put it. Like I, I just, I won't accept just this really kind of pessimistic approach. This, 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 again, just the black pill, like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you stop shopping at target, like every company is going to be woke and every, every company is going to do the thing. Like, no man, like you, you can't, you can't think like that. You keep working, you trust God with the increase. And even if you don't see the change or the success in your lifetime, you know, you, you, you're going to act and, and work and live and breathe and move as though your kids are, they're going to see it. And if your kids don't, then your grandkids are. Somebody 
somebody in your line is going to see it. And that's what you, that's what you're working for. So I see behind you, I've got a little bit of time left. I see behind you, you've got uh, a case for Christian nationalism by, by Stephen Wolf. And, uh, and uh, along and on top of it, you've got a, you know, for those just listening, you've got the J.C. Ryle Holiness book that you mentioned, and I also see Masculine Christianity by um, by Zach Garris, which is definitely on my list to read and, and interview him as well. I want to have him on, but I want to make sure I, I try to read my guest books before I have them on. But uh, let's see if, okay, so we've talked about the individual case for, for, for your journey as a man. We talked about you as a husband and you as a father and as a business owner and as a pastor. So we're getting progressively further circles out. We've got a community leader. So let's make, let's, let's tie this to now to the national case because the eschatology has been floating around with post mill and, and which I fully agree with. Um, so let's, let's put the pieces together on, on sort of what it can look like for an individual man, because I think you've painted the picture of, of, uh, of the example of a man, an example of how men can be thinking about and living these things. That's what you've been articulating. And so, and so, you know, from, from the level of one man, one household, one family, one church, let's build this out to the national case because I think it's, it's deeply, deeply relevant. Okay. So the question is, is what does that look like? How do we start doing that? Yeah, let's let's just let's kick the so- let's kick the soccer ball around as I, as I like to say. Like let's let's run it out. Let's say let's say you've got um you're a man who's trying who who's um let, let, let's let me paint a scenario. Let's say that uh that there's a man listening who's you know, maybe not all the way down the road for this process, but maybe he started this process and walked far enough down the road that he can see some kind of light at the end of the tunnel like okay, I think I can actually pull this off. And he's looking at the American cultural political kind of system and recognizing that it's not working. And maybe he's just escaped from woke corporateville and he's kind of trying to figure out, well, I don't, I want to live in a country that facilitates me continuing to cultivate these values. And he's maybe he's not all the way there yet on Christian nationalism. Perhaps he grew up in a form of Christian nominalism. So let's start there with someone who's essentially bought in on the fundamental case of reconstituting himself as a man, but ha- and maybe even in his own community, but hasn't yet plugged it in to the national scale. Because I think that's where the dialogue is kind of stuck. You have a lot of guys recognizing that we need to reestablish some form of biblical patriarchy in the home, male headship in the churches, et cetera. Like, and maybe they're not doing head coverings or anything like that, but they recognize that things are upside down in terms of the in terms of father rule, and they want to write everything up, and they're there on that part, but they haven't yet put the pieces together in terms of running a nation. Let's start. Let's start there. So we have some basic agreement, but we need to go to a larger scale agreement. Yeah. Well, you have to start. I think you have to start with that basic agreement at the local level, and then work your way out. Um, you, you know, I think that you, you you can't you can't seek to quickly enact the kind of change that you desire on a national scale, uh, and and so I think this is certainly even part of the consideration uh, the conversation in, in terms of uh, biblical patriarchy, Christian nationalism, all of all of the things, building Christian institutions. You know, I have told some men on a local level here, like. Man, let's get you on city council, or let's 
you know, let's get you running, um, get, get you running for mayor. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that we can, we can, that's certainly achievable in smaller towns. And I know men who are seeking to do that. And, you know, I live in a, a, a bit larger city, you know, we've got a few hundred thousand people. So, I mean, we're not, we're not Phoenix, um, but third largest city uh-huh. in, in the state of Missouri. And so and Metro, you know, maybe closer to, maybe closer to, you know, 500,000, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, so maybe that's not a, a, something that we can uh, attain as quickly, but I think those are the conversations that we need to start with. It's like, how do we, how do we start to enact change on a local level? Um, and certainly that is, 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 is putting the thought in, into, into people's minds that we can enact change and we should. And, and then we start having the conversation on, on a really practical uh, boots on the ground level of how, how do we begin doing that? How, how do we, and, and so that, that conversation might look a little bit different depending on where you are, depending on, on, you know, what you have your sights on, um, you know, what you're trying to correct um, or change. And so I think we, we need to think like that. We need to seek to approach things like that on, on a local level. And we need to then, you know, try to, try to grow that, you know, that, that out further and further on a grander scale in terms of, of what we see within our country and our nation. And so, you know, there's a lot of different things that I think would go into that. Like certainly, um, I think I would say the best place to, to try to, 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 to plant that seed and enact that change in people's minds, um, at least in terms of, of Christianity, hopefully, I mean, we're talking about Christian nationalism. So like, hopefully those people are in the church. And, and so they're, they're, they're hearing those things in the, in the church. Like we, we cannot continue with, with this kind of thinking that, um, you know, uh, just all of these misunderstandings in terms of like, oh, separation of church and state, or you can't legislate morality and like all of the things that are just undeniably not true. Uh, you, you know, um, what are laws if not trying to legislate, legislate people's morality? Um, and, and so um, beginning to, to shift people's thinking because you can't, you can't enact any kind of change until people think that, oh, we're, you know, we're doing it wrong. We need to, we, we can enact change, but, um, but we have to, we have to be able to see what that requires of us. Um, and again, like, I think, you know, I mean, I just, I'm sitting here thinking now about people in my own family who are, um, not to open up a whole can of worms that occurred a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, but like I've got family members who are just, you know, they're, they're pre-mill or dispy. They're just, you know, like, you know, just like, let's just, things are just going to get worse. So just, you know, let's just batten down the hatches and, and hold on. Jesus is coming back. Well, like why? Why would you work towards anything if that's what you thought? Like, why would why would you seek to build Christian institutions? Why would you seek to build generational wealth? Why would you seek to be able to build an inheritance that you can pass on to your children and your grandchildren? Why, you know, why would you seek to, uh, you know, um, to 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 you know change the course of, uh, you know, your county, your city, your country, 
by the way that you vote, by who you know, who you install as a political leader. So the the first thing I think that has to happen is like you you have to get people to see that they have to be able to see things vastly different than the way they do now in terms of just you know, theologically and, and in terms of success instead of just yeah just you know kind of just glibly just going through life hands up in the air like this this is just world's going to hell in a handbasket yeah so um that's that's where i think we have to start i think we have to start with a a a, a biblical understanding of you know be it political theory or or you know the Christian's involvement in in those things. You see that happening now, really, just with some of these, you know, I mean, with, with Bud Light and with Target and like people all this time, like I've, I've known people who have been boycotting companies. I mean, like I'm 42 and like, this isn't the first time I've seen any boycott exist. Like I've seen it plenty of times, but this is the first <laughs> time that I've seen it actually seem to be working, you know, and because that's because the, 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 the crazies have pushed the needle too far and people have finally had enough and, you know, they're doing the thing that they never thought they could do, which is enact real change in, in these companies and in, in the success of these companies, businesses. And so like, if we just carry that over into, you know, enacting the kind of change that we want to see in, and, you know, government policies and again, like start on a local level and just work, your, work, work the way, work your way out. And man, teach and train pastors that, to, to be unafraid and to preach the truth and to, to, to get people, to get their congregants to understand these things. And, and, you know, we think we could easily have the majority and you know, if we just voted with conviction that's a good place to start, I think. There are countless other aspects of this conversation. Hmm. My first, uh, my fr- I'm very blessed that my first teacher in postmillennialism was um, was Doug Wilson when he was on my podcast about a year ago because I had just encountered the idea, and I, of course I was f- I'm familiar with, like, as I think many people in America are Christian or not, with the whole left behind dispensational premillennial kind of Jesus is coming back idea just kind of in the cultural waters. And so there's a, there's a real mind shift that needs to happen between that kind of cultural attitude that everyone's been marinating in. Um, and plus the general apocalyptic vibes of the day to the reality that like, we might be on the downswing right now in some, in some essential ways, but you know, God can turn it around at any time. You know, at the end of the, at the end of the return of the King, it sure looked like everything was about to end, but everything was just on the, just on the cusp of being of being redeemed in ways that were to the I love this example because to Aragorn and all the and all the the fellowship that was at the blockade and the armies that are being literally surrounded by orcs like it was over it was literally over they had no idea at the blockade that Frodo was still alive that's why they were there they're there at the blockade to draw Sauron out and the hopes that Frodo might be alive and get the ring to Mordor on time because <laughs> they don't know where he is, right? 
And so I think that there's a component of like, though the visible, what's visible to all of us can seem quite dire. And I, I, I was on a podcast this week where I talked about this. You know, ultimately evil was undone by its own narcissism. The reason why Sauron took the bait and sent all the all the, his entire army to confront Aragorn is that he thought Aragorn had the ring. So he's like, because Sauron couldn't imagine that anyone would ever destroy the ring. He had no that thought didn't even enter his mind. So what did he do? He left Mount Doom completely unguarded, and two little tiny defenseless hobbits just wander right up the right up the slopes of Mount Doom. And so evil was undone by its own narcissism because it couldn't see past its own its own lust for power. And so we, as men, as, as Christian men, are, are kind of approaching near the Black Gate and seeing the orcs coming, swarming out and looking at the eye of Sauron. It's like, ah, it's over. It's over. Jesus is coming back. It's like, really? <laughs> are you, you sure about that? Like, you sure that we don't have to like fight until the very last second and watch God redeem it all? Something short of, of Jesus coming back and ending time? And I don't, I don't know that enough... I don't, I don't know that enough Christians think that way, but what I love is that there, there are plenty that do. There are plenty that are, you know, like, no, we're going to keep fighting right up until the very end because that's who I am, <laughs> right? That's who God made me to be. Now, I'm not going to climb into a, I'm not going to, I don't have a basement, but I'm not going to climb into my non-existent basement and like, just keep checking my watch every five minutes for, for Jesus to come bail me out. Like, send me into the battle, Lord. <laughs> I don't think I think that's the kind of men that are needed right now. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, one I love that that illustration, that example, because um, I'm a huge Tolkien fan. But it's interesting that <clears throat> that I just I just had a similar conversation with my wife earlier today in terms of just uh, you know, if I'm honest, it was just like me just kind of. I wouldn't say I was feeling feeling sorry for myself, but it was just I was just really tired and and, and worn out, just physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and some of that is still you know for for those people that know just you know having a a, a bit of a an accident and a head injury, and so it's it seems like that's happening easier more you know more easily. But my point is this: is that is we were talking about within that kind of the roles between men and women, and and, and how it pertains to some of the women. And, and men in our church. And so just talking about how, you know, just we have different perceptions of, <clears throat> of what other people do. This is getting to a point that's going to tie back to what you said. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. that I think some people would, would say, and, and they would see like, Oh, well, you know, Brandon gets to meet with people and have lunch and breakfast and do discipleship and write sermons and read books and, roast coffee and, and, you know, take trips to do conferences and all of these things. Um, but, but the thing that they don't see that, that is, you know, that back at home behind the curtain that my wife sees is just like how much that, that, that takes of me. But, um, and, and this isn't like just, Hey, you know, to say, Hey, look how much I do feel sorry for me, but it's, but it, it's this, mm-hmm. that it's, it's tiresome. It's hard work. It's, it's arduous work. It's, you know, I certainly love to do all of it, but the point is this is like what you just said is that we're, I, I believe that it is, it, it's building into something um, 
larger and more meaningful. And so um, these are the, the, the gifts and the skills that the Lord has given me to use. And so, so I'm going to use them to right up to the very end. I'm, I'm going to, you know, and so this is like drawing it back to what I said about just not being afraid to work hard and to give your all and do it under the glory of God. It's just like, yes, I'm tired. Um, no, not every aspect of what I do seems as, as glamorous as what other people might think that it is. But um, yeah, it's the task that he's given me to do. And, and you're, you know, the next person's task might be different, but it's, it's really ultimately the same. Like you're doing a different physical task or, but, but the outcome, the desired outcome is the same. We're, we're building into something. We're fighting for something that is much bigger than just ourselves. And there's much more meaningful than just ourselves. And that we, we, we do it in such a way that we think we believe we act like we're going to win. God's going to win. It's his world and we belong to him. And so we work and we strive we labor unto him. And yeah, you know, we, we just like, just like the, you know, the fellowship and the army that are there at the black gate, like they're just, we're going to give everything we have to the very last second. And like you said, they, like, they didn't know the outcome, but, you know, I think the lesson is, is that we give our all and we just, you know, we, we trust the results under the Lord. They were all ready to die. Yeah. That was what they expected. Right. For the chance, for the chance. And it's like, all we all as men, I I was, I think I feel confident saying all watch movies like Braveheart or um, the matrix or, Terminator 2 or pick pick any any number of any number of movies and setting aside whether they're christian movies or not doesn't matter but no greater love hath a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends and we see all these warriors giving their lives like that's braveheart gives his life gladiator gives his life the matrix at the end of the third movie neo gives his life terminator the power of that movie is that the Terminator gives his life. Like these are classic masculine films. All these men, exa- examples, giving their lives so that others may live. Like, are, are we ready to do that as men? Are we ready to do that as Christian men? Really? <laughs> really? Isn't that the example that Christ set? Gave his life, <laughs> right? And it's, it's odd to me. That, that, that so it's so basic. It's like looking you right in the face. What is it that George Orwell said to see what is in front of one's nose requires a constant effort, mm-hmm. right? What did Christ do but give his life? Are we ready to give our lives, men? Are we ready to follow the, really follow the example, not to mention all the martyrs? And, and that doesn't necessarily have to mean giving your life in some sort of like final act of sacrifice of your existence but giving your life, pouring it into the things that you're doing so that you're spent at the end of the day, so that you're exhausted, so that maybe you are a little sad. Maybe you are a little low energy because you've poured your soul out to give, to create something, and you don't have anything left for yourself. 
that's an act of self-sacrifice as well. And then you allow your wife and your brothers to come and pour into you, and then you get back into it. That seems to me to be profoundly masculine and profoundly Christian at the same time. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, I, I don't know what I, I could add to that really to, 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 to say it any better. I think I, that's it. That That's that's the word that, that, you know, and, and that is why we, we need others so much That's why, you know, because we do, we, as men, like we, we work and we give and we sacrifice. And I mean, I'm saying this in a general sense, like I'm, I hope that's what we're doing. Like that's what we should be striving to do. And then, yeah, we, you know, and we have a, a really gracious um, father who, was instructed us like, to take to take a day of rest to to you know to recharge to to refill the tank and we ought to do that with with worship with family with friends with church members and that's why like for us you know um, one of the things we do as a church is every single sunday following the service we have a meal like we all just sit together and we laugh and mm. like, this is this is after we have we have taken of communion together and, and we have, we've sang songs unto the Lord and we've confessed sin and we have delighted in the scriptures. And, you know, then, you know, we, we come together and we just eat good food and we tell stories and we laugh. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I look forward to every single week. It's, it's, it's refreshing. It's refilling. And then, yeah, Monday comes and you get back to work. You do you, you do all the same things again. And then, praise God, come the next Lord's Day, we get to do the same thing. We get to feast on the Lord and eat good food and have good fellowship. Beautiful vision. So if there's a young guy out there, and let's just say he's like, you know, 22 to 25 years old. And which I think is a pretty crucial age for men. I think it might be the most crucial age for men, like 20 to 25, I think is the most important stage of a man's life, or at least it's the one where you can make the decisions that have the the longest branching impact because you're, you're old enough to be on your own. um, But too stupid to know how to be on your own. (laughs) That was my experience anyway. Um, And he's, he's finding, he's listening to this podcast and He's trying to find his way at the very start of his journey as a man. And he's identified all the things that we're talking about. And he's, he's bought into the ideas and even the vision. Like, where can that young man start? What, what, like, as a, as, a, as a father, as a business owner, as a pastor, as a, as a man who's been on his own 40-plus year journey, like, where, where would you direct that, that young man? to start because he, he wants to get, he wants to get where, where you're at someday where he wants, he wants, he wants the things that you're building. Like, what would you, what would you, what advice would you give to that young man? I would say, uh, if you don't already have it, find a solid church, solid community of believers that, uh, thinks this way, believes this way, works to that end. 
like find yourself a, a, a solid, um, um, just yeah, theologically robust church and and people to connect yourself to. Uh, if you don't already have that, if you don't have uh, a community, and I don't just mean like you know maybe you've got a handful of really solid friends and by solid, it's just like, they've just been with you for so long, but I mean, maybe they're not Christians or maybe they're just nominal Christians. That's not what I mean. That's not the community that you need. You need a community of, of men and, and women, but like for a guy, like you need a community where there are men who are, are willing to do all the things that we've said, like to work hard, you know, I mean, it's to, to win, to build, to, to fight, uh, to believe in success um, that the Lord grants. Um, and then, yeah, um, get married, start having kids, uh, start building, um, figure out what, what you can do well and uh, start figuring out how you can do that. Do that in a way that, that, that honors the Lord and builds into something bigger than yourself which is Christendom. Like, you know, I mean, for me, that's what it is. Like, you know, how, how can you build into that? How can you contribute to that? And so, you know, again, if it's, if it is a, a skill or a trade, then get, like master that thing, whatever it is, and then figure out how to utilize it and put it out there for other people, whether it's being a plumber or an electrician or, or a mechanic or a coffee roaster or whatever. Or maybe you're really good at starting businesses and selling them and making a lot of money and you can just use that money to help other men start building other kinds of institutions and, and, and establishments. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that is what the Lord has blessed you with. It's just that you, you're just really good at making money. You know, I know guys like that and you know, praise God for them. Yeah. And so... Find a church, solid church. Um, yeah, get married, have kids. Develop a skill that you can build with and get to work. Connect yourself to as many other, like that's, you know, I, I didn't mean to exclude this. I think I, I said it already, but like, you know, in, in finding a church, like you're, you're connecting to yourself to a, a community of people that are going to help you. Lord willing, they should, like they should, they should believe in, in, in what you're doing and they'll work and fight to make sure that you succeed as well. Amen. Amen to all of that. Well, thank you, Brandon. This has been, this has been absolutely brilliant. This is, uh, I was looking forward to this. Um, and, uh, I was not disappointed. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your heart and your experience and, and your insight and your, and your story and your passion for the things that you, that you do. It's a, it's a real, um, you know, in the, in the world of manosphere influencers, whatever, not, I don't know that you call yourself that, but in that world of men who present themselves online, let's say, you know, it's, it can be very hard to get to the reality of who they are past all the layers of say content and, and image that they've created. And so it's a real um, it's a real privilege for me to to get to know you and to get to meet you and to get to work with you and and um, to get to meet the man behind the things that you do. 
to be welcomed into that, um, to be welcomed into all those aspects of you. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. And I have a great appreciation for, for um, being part of your life and part of your story and, and part of Reformation, the Reformation Coffee family as well. And um, so this has been a real honor and a privilege for me. So thank you. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear all of that. I appreciate that. And, um, man, it has been an honor and a, and a privilege to be able to, to, you know, join efforts with you and, and, um, you know, you, you've been, uh, <clears throat> you've been a delight to get to know and to be able to, to, to partner with. And, um, you know, I, I hope and, and pray that, that we, you know, can, can build a lot together and, you know, that, uh, we can, uh, we can get you up here to, to Springfield before too long and meet in person and, and, uh, and, and you know, have big dreams and make big plans for, for even more. I like the sound of that. And, and I think all men should be looking for, for men that they can build with. I think that's another, that's, a, I think that was in, in some of the things that you said is like, be part of a church, find a skill, you know, get a wife, have kids and find men that, that you want to build something with and that want to build something with you. Cause it's not just like theoretical, like nation building is not a theoretical exercise. You can write position papers. Sure. Go ahead. But ultimately nation building, the emphasis is on building. And so, um, and so it's important for men to find once they've built something, just know that you can't, you can't do it all yourself. You know, you need men to, to augment your skills and abilities, um, you know, and, and the things that you're good at, and then you work together and you build something even greater than yourselves, than, uh, than yourselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's just, we have, uh, a much greater chance of success when, when we work and strive and build and fight together. So that's, that's my encouragement is, you know, just connect yourself with, with like-minded people who, who want to do the same thing and who are going to encourage you and, and prop you up along the way. Cause I, I, I couldn't like, you know, I, I couldn't imagine trying to do all of this on my own, try, you know, whether it's any of it, I mean, like, you know, build, building a coffee business or, know trying to enact lasting change in, in, in my local community and, and beyond you can't do that by yourself right there's not, there's only there's only one of me I only got so many hours in a day I got more things to do than I have me so I got to find other men around me that can help me do those things yeah yeah that's right amen well um I have some idea of the answer to this question but um <laughs> where would you like to send men to find out more about you and, and, and what you do? Uh, well, you can, I mean, you can discover Reformation Coffee on Twitter at Reformed Coffee. And you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Lansdowne. You can go find the coffee that you will love at ReformationCoffee.com. We are also on Instagram. I can't remember what our hand. I think it's just Reformation Coffee. Um, that's I think my so. wife. Yeah, that's my wife that, that that heads up that. So yeah, I mean, you can go, you can go find all all of 
all sorts of information about the, the business and you know if you want hot takes on dust jackets for books you can go find me on twitter <laughs> can confirm can confirm got the sword out on twitter it's awesome well thank you so much brandon i, I really appreciate it i'm looking forward to uh I'm looking forward to many more of these conversations over coffee and whiskey and cigars as well yeah man i look forward to it episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.